welcome to Horror Through Her Eyes, episode six. You've got the Taminator and Amateur Destroyer here, ready to explore the twisted world of horror and prove that girls enjoy horror just as much as the guys do. Take it away, Jessica. <laughs> okay. Um, so we, <laughs> I did actually put down a couple of haunting headlines for this episode, so we can get into that first real quick. First, Melissa Barrera, who plays the new main character in the Scream franchise, just got um, exonated from the project because of her sharing her political views about Gaza online, uh, which I don't know how I feel about that. Um, let's see. What did she say? She had said Gaza is currently being treated like a concentration camp. Um, cornering everyone together with nowhere to go, no electricity, no water. People have learned nothing from our histories, and just like our histories, people are still silently watching it all happen. This is genocide and ethnic cleansing. Um, um, I'm not sure that I agree with that decision to ixnate her for that. I mean, yeah. shouldn't we be allowed to... I mean, it's not like she's on the other side saying, kill them all. She's, like, trying to bring awareness to something that obviously means something to her. Right. So I think we need to be – allow people to give their opinions in a safe place. I mean, that that that's kind of going too far. That seems like a – I don't know, a Gestapo state or something. Like, I think it's it's a free – right? Like – I think yeah. you're free to say what you want to as long as it's not hurting anyone or derogatory to, like, a specific group, gender or race or something. And, I right. mean, it really just sounds like she's trying to bring awareness to something. So I think that's yeah. going too far in the other direction. What do you think? I agree. I think that's way too much. I know that this is, like, really a touchy political subject right now. Um, and, like, both sides of the issue really freaking suck. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. but I think that what she said, I mean, and I didn't read everything that she said everywhere. So maybe she said something like more offensive somewhere, but based on this information, I don't think that there's anything wrong with what she had said. And if you're watching any of the live footage from Gaza, it is like the most horrific, saddest thing ever. You know what I mean? Personally, for I'd say probably for this year, just for my mental health, I really I turned off my Google News notifications. I just really try to kind of stay out of everything, and I, I'm so I'm finding out a lot of things like after everyone else <laughs> knows, like yeah, like, um, Rosalind Carter just died, and I think everyone knew that before me. Um, I just for my mental health, I just can't and it's not that I don't care about these issues I I passionately care but it's just I can't be bombarded with it every time I turn my phone on or yeah. you know I've turned off all my notifications on all my devices because it just I don't want that like slapping me in the face the minute I turn you know something on so I'm just really yeah. trying to stay out of it and you know just like 
within with Google, they'll like try to send you stuff and you can say, yes, I like this. No, I don't like this. Don't send me anything else like this. And so like, I think for like the past year, I've really been trying to do that because it's just too much, you know? Yeah. I have to do that sometimes too. Um, I think with this, it was like, I haven't been paying attention to news for like the last couple of years, really, just because it got so intense. Right. Um, But I don't know with this, just like all the children that are dying and stuff, like I felt like really ignorant about what was going on. So I kind of started Uh, cluing in, but you're right. Like it's really, really hard to do. I don't know what I turned on the other day, but there was footage of at a music festival. Did you hear about this or see this? Where the, the, so there was some people like, I think eight people were um, serving drinks like at a Coke stand. And they were gunned down and the video like already entered my brain before I was able to like hit stop or I was just like, it was in one of my feeds and I couldn't believe like that didn't have a warning on it or something like that. I mean, they were literally showing the bodies just laying there and I'm like, I just, I can't, you know, I just can't. So I do know what you're talking about actually. Now that I think about it, I didn't watch any of the footage or anything though, but I know about the event. I didn't mean to. But like there yeah. it was. So I'm just I've just really tried to just and the fact that it's just in a news feed, it just shows like maybe how like that's like, I guess, not even considered offensive. Not that that's offensive. I think that's terrible. I don't think dead bodies are offensive per se, but I just think like that shouldn't just come up in my normal news feed. I didn't go searching for gore or death or anything. You know what I mean? I was just yeah. like, literally, it just came up. I don't remember where now. But I just, yeah, I just, if if that's, like, what's going to be in my everyday news feed right now, I just can't. I'm, I just can't. Yeah. Well, it's really, I mean, traumatizing. And obviously, we're not going through the same kind of trauma that they're going through in Gaza, you know. Um, but, like, yeah, you shouldn't have that kind of stuff forced upon you, I don't feel like, either. So. And I'm sure there's people be like, well, you're a privileged right women, woman. You're lucky that you're able to shut your eyes to it. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm well, believe me, I'm well aware of that. But when you have anxiety and stuff like I do, you tend to take those things onto yourself and they don't, they get in your brain and it's just very easy. If you have like mental health issues and stuff, I think it's just, we don't react to those kind of things the same way. I'm not able yeah. to turn my back to it, you know, and, um, it's just not something I can personally handle, but it doesn't mean that I don't care or I think that's beneath me or I don't want to just don't want to worry about it. It's just that I can't take that visual in me, really, or yeah. it will affect me deeply. So that's why I I, under, I totally understand my privilege. And yes, I am very lucky. Totally. But. Yeah, I'm in the same. <laughs> I, I totally understand what you're saying, you know, because I have anxiety, too. Um, and it's like that. It's just like. You just feel all the time like what I should be doing something, even if you can't do something. You know what I mean? Yes. And it's just it's really terrible. You really like internalize everything. And that's the word I was looking for, internalize. And I do, which I know, Mace, if you don't know what that's like, that probably sounds weird, you know, weird too. like, oh, you should just be able to handle it. But my brain just doesn't work that way. So and then it'll like start this snowball. Then I'm worrying about my own children and you know it just I just need to stay away from it so yeah yeah but anyway back we got off on a tangent back to should somebody be you know have canceled canceled (laughs) because they have a belief that isn't hurting anyone I think that's 
kind of ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sometimes you'll, you know, see and hear actors say something like really hardcore racist or something. And you're like, you know what? You can cancel them. That's okay. <laughs> um, I think that's what uh, happened to Roseanne a, couple, a year or two ago, right? When they, she got kicked off the Congress because yeah. she was being, like, straight out Like, blatantly. Offensive. Yeah. That's different. You know? Right. Just saying, like, hey, are you aware of, you know, I there's a terrible, I think there's a terrible thing going on. I think people should be allowed to say that. She yeah. And like like you said, maybe she said something we don't know about. But if that's what got her in that like kind of a position, that just doesn't seem right to me. It seems like we're going too far in the other direction now. Yeah. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like, I don't know. She's not saying that she's with the terrorists or right. something. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah. It's just a, it's a tough it's a tough situation all around. It sucks. I wonder if it's because she used words like concentration camp and genocide. That's what I was thinking. But cleansing. If that's what she that she is just saying what she feels. So yeah, you know, I uh, I think she should be allowed to do that. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I wonder what Scream's going to do now because they're clearly going to have to pivot because she's like the main character. So uh, good luck with that, guys. Uh, next on Haunting Headlines, I have that fresh off of last year's Bodies, 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 A24 and director Helena uh, Rajan. Rain. I don't know how to say. Rain. Rain. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I'm trying to say names like I'm reading them. I'm like, oh, no, I don't know how to say this name. But if I was just reading it in my head to myself, I'd be like, Rain. Like, that's clearly probably what that is. Anyways. <laughs> They're coming back together uh, to work on a project called Baby Girl, which is an upcoming erotic thriller that has one hell of a cast attached at this time, including Nicole Kidman, Antonio Bendis, and Harris Dickinson, um, who are all confirmed to star after much speculation, while Sophie Wilde from Talk to Me and Jean Reno uh, round out the all-star cast. Oh, that's so cool. Sophie Wilde's going to be in it. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm glad she's going to start getting it. And that makes sense because it's A24 and they did talk to me. So they probably got her in on this. Um, But anyways, the director wrote uh, the screenplay as well. And she will also be directing Baby Girl. Um, And in this film, a successful CEO begins an illicit affair with her much younger intern. By the sound of this, do you think the much younger intern is also female? I hope so. Oh, I don't know, but that would be fun. Right? Then I, yes. And, you know, there was, um, there were different kinds of relationships in bodies, bodies, bodies. So it's not like I would think that she'd be afraid to touch that. Kind right. Of especially, you know, just looking at this cast, especially if it's Nicole Kidman is a successful CEO. <gasps> Hot. Bring it. Bring it. Hot. With the Sophie Wilde be her yep. <laughs> I, I, I'm just I'm just dream fan casting here, but just yes. looking at that list of people, I'm hoping that's the way that this goes. With the side of give it to me, baby Antonio Banderas. Yeah. Yep. I'm ready. Let's go. So hot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You and I have like so. the same taste. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> In both men and women. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. And, you know, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was fun um, and kind of unexpected. And it wasn't like this amazing masterpiece of a film or something. But I thought it did a lot of really cool things and had a lot of fun making fun of itself. Um, so I'm excited to see what else uh, this director has to bring. Um, let's see. I also put on here that uh, in 1991, director Martin Scorsese remade 1962's Cape Fear based on the 1957 novel The Executioners by John D. MacDonald for Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. It appears that they're returning to the IP deadline reports that Scorsese and Spielberg have teamed with Channel Zero, (laughs) Nick and uh, and Tosca, for a new series that'll take an unconventional approach. And uh, Cape Fear marks the first ever TV collaboration for Scorsese and Spielberg, who are executive producing the project from creator and executive producer and showrunner Nick and Tosca. And Tosca. So it's going to uh, be a TV series? Yeah. Which, okay, well, then it'll only get one season because we'll love it and that'll be the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But I'm really excited. I mean, and Scorsese is big, you know, so that might grab a lot of people's attention. Um, I love Cape Fear. I love that movie I so do much. Too. And it's so, like, strange. You know, and like the characters are really weird. Like, yes, yes, I love it. I love how like weird and unsettling and gross and kind of gritty it feels. It's Um, almost like the. Did you see the original one? The it it's like the grindhouse version of the 1962 one. Which the 1962 one is great, but it's definitely a little more vanilla and, you know, a little more 1962. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm very excited about this. I know. Isn't that fun? I'm excited too. And I really want to go see Killers of the Flower Moon soon as well. Same. Um, That's like the next movie I really want to go see. I hear it's like really heartbreaking. Um, I think that's why I haven't gone, honestly. And that and you setting aside three and a half hours to watch it is another thing. But I actually didn't know that until like yesterday. And now I'm like, maybe I'll watch it at home. I don't yeah. think I'll sit in the theater that long. I know. That's rough. Um, and then my only other bit of news is that Black Mirror has a season seven returning to Netflix. So, yay, Black, uh, Black Mirror is coming back. Um, So it sounds like the last season must have been successful enough to, like, get the series going again. Um, I didn't see any, like, expected dates or anything, but it's just fun to know um, or good to know that it's going to have another season. And I'm still waiting to hear about their horror version of Black Mirror. I forgot what they're calling it. Something with, like, red something. But I want more information on that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, really. On horror Black Mirror. Um, but, you know, well, sci-fi Black Mirror is also awesome. It's it's sci-fi, but I think it kind of borders on horror itself. And I'm happy to hear this because I was just watching, like, the list of everything that just got canceled, and they canceled. I was just talking the other day about how much I loved the new Wonder, Wonder Years with the Black family. Canceled. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I'm never, ever going to say when I like something again. If you yes. don't hear me talking about it, it's probably great. Yeah, totally. I'm going to do that, too. We're just, like, jinxing it. I know. <laughs> but that's it for our haunting headlines. Hey. And now 
we'll be getting into our Fright Bites. Tammy, did you have any recent watches that you wanted to shout out? Well, I see we have one together, but and I only have like two. My other one, besides the one you're going to mention here, is um, I went and saw Thanksgiving. Did you see it? No, not yet. Oh, my God. It is so good. We is love it? it so much. I loved it. Yay, it was, I'm so excited. So, it's like, yes. I didn't mark, mark, mark texted us and he's like it's like a return to the 80s perfect 80s slasher it's exactly exactly what it is there's some majorly epic kills in there and yeah I took Landon we had the best time and I it was there weren't a ton of people in the theater but we were all having a good time watching it you know so it's nothing but fun it is not like a masterpiece or anything like that I do like the mask it's kind of unsettling um just weird, you know, but uh, and just really different. And uh, I also don't always love Eli Roth movies, but I thought this one was great. So awesome. I hope I hope this is like a new beginning for him. And yeah, uh, yeah I say definitely. It's not like a, thema- a film masterpiece or anything, but if you can go see it in the theater, I promise you, you'll have a good time. It's worth the price of the ticket. Um, yeah, it was just a cool. It was fun to see it with my son and. Yeah, we just had a great time. So I would say see it in the theater. Yeah. That's so fun. I can't wait. I'm so excited. <laughs> uh, and then the other one, it seems like we both saw When, uh, when Evil Lurks. What'd you yes, think? Yes, finally. I loved it. I, I thought loved it was it too. so messed up. Kind of in that way, maybe not necessarily in the same way as Hereditary, where it's like, but it's that same kind of feeling of like, you can't escape your fate, kind of, except in this case, it's like somebody just keeps making the wrong decision <laughs> and it just keeps like cascading into the worst possible scenario. Um, well, very brutal. I know that I, I know I didn't, I put off watching it because I know I was afraid of it after I heard it was from the Terrifier guy. I had to, like, make peace with myself and get myself in the right headspace to watch it. And it was everything I was afraid it was going to be. And you're right. That feeling, if you've seen Hereditary, if you've seen Terrifier, oh, my God, Terrifier, Terrifier, (laughs) Terrified, sorry, Terrified, Uh, it is that same sickening feeling, but it's also like a car wreck where you can't look away, you know, Yeah. and it's just. Man, that that was rough. That was a rough yeah. watch, but not in a bad way. Just like you're not going to feel better after you, you watch it. You may not be happy that you watched it. You need to sit with it for a while. But, I mean, it's absolutely going to make my list at the end of the year and everything. It's just a lot. Yeah. A lot. I, I really think especially if you're too. a parent. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, so rough. Especially knowing that it was, like, all that guy's fault. It's just, oh, terrible. We were talking about it on Roundtable the other day, and what Vin said is true. I think there's maybe some folklore or something that I don't totally understand that, um, which you don't, I mean, it won't take anything away from watching the movie or anything, but I think that um, maybe I don't 
I don't know if it was a folklore that's maybe just made up for the movie. I'm not sure about that. But um, I maybe I think you get kind of an idea as the movie goes how important, like the ritual or whatever, how you deal with this entity is. So, yeah, totally. Yeah, I was gonna say um, I really like the folklore aspect too. Um, I didn't necessarily get the impression that it was like based on anything real, but I really like the way that they go about it um, because it's like they don't. <laughs> sit there and explain everything to you, but you still figure it out just like going along with the story. You know what I mean? You like get to put all the pieces together, but they don't like dumb it down for you and be like, Oh, because this like, cause everybody knows about it to some extent, you know what I mean? And they only over explain the things that not everybody understands and only people that have been in that situation before understand. So I thought that that was done really well. Um, I do too, and I thought, I mean, it was kind of, you as the audience member don't know, but it was kind of like, I think the evil unfolds and introduces itself to you slowly, so you kind of like, you know something's kind of going on at the beginning, but I don't think you understand the gravity of the situation, and then all of a sudden it just takes off running, and you're like, yeah, you know, yeah, like when, <laughs> when shit hits the fan, yeah. you're like, Oh, this is why they're being careful, but they clearly aren't being careful enough. But they also like it seems like they kind of purposefully live in an area where they shouldn't normally have to deal with this situation. So they don't really have experience with it. They just have like hearsay. Um, Exactly. Like one of the first things I find is and I'm not sure I totally understand some sort of an instrument, a mechanical instrument that they need. And it's like they don't even recognize the townspeople here. The the remote people don't even recognize it for what it is yet, even though you find out later you need this thing, whatever it is to fight it or whatever. But. Um, it's yeah, it seems like they they left the city or they stayed on the outskirts of the city to try to stay away from things like this. So it's like something that exists in their world. But I think they thought they were safe because they like put off believing it's happening for the longest time, even though yeah. it's like staring them right in the face. And like, they, you know, yeah. they have no other, re- you know, so they finally just have to believe this is going on. But then too, kind of like you as the audience start learning what you are supposed to and not supposed to do. And then mm-hmm. you see these main characters still doing stupid things. And I'm like yelling at the TV, you know, like, don't move him, you know, things like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so there's just a whole bunch of rules that you learn, but it's just really exasperating because the main characters, like, don't want to heed these rules. So, of course, things start snowballing and getting worse and worse. But the visuals in this thing are just gut-wrenching. Oh, my yeah. God. I mean, they look great, but, whew, yeah, I would compare it to the hereditary feeling, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, for people to understand, like, what level your guts are going to sink to when you see this thing. But it's it's totally. awesome. I can't wait to rewatch it. I'm really excited to rewatch it before the end of the year. But yeah, personally, I really liked it. Um, so that's yay, something we both like. <laughs> we do that on occasion. <laughs> Did you have any other watches that you wanted no, to bring? That, that was it. Just those two for me. Okay. Um, my only other one is that I rewatched the original Saw with a bunch of friends. And it was a mixture of people who have seen it before but haven't seen it in a long time and a couple of people who have never seen it. Like my daughter, for instance, came and my friend that I always do movie nights with, this was her gateway to horror when she was a teenager and trying to be rebellious and 
got like a um an iPad or something for the first time and was like, I finally have access to the internet because she was <laughs> sold in her mom's yeah. So she, this was the first thing that she ever watched. So it was like really momentous for her. And I've only ever seen the first two. So we're going to go through the whole series together. Um, but we figured we'd get a bunch of people over for the first one and it was a lot of fun. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. And I, it's just funny because I feel like I hear Saw come up you know, still pretty frequently and people cover the franchise and stuff. And I feel like nobody ever mentions like how cheesy it is. Like the acting and the dialogue gets real bad. <laughs> I haven't watched him in forever. I Landon used to like him a lot, but I wouldn't like watch him with him, you know, but I yeah. have been interested to watch this, to watch 10. Um, and I yeah, will before yeah. the end of the year sometime, but I don't know if I have it in me to read. First of all, I don't, it kind of verges on that torture porn for me a little bit. And that's not my favorite kind of movie, but 10 and I could just be projecting this onto it, but it seems to have a little bit more of a story to it. I know it goes the same direction as the other ones eventually, but I want to give it a chance, but yeah, it's just never been my favorite franchise. Not just because that's just not my type of movie, but I know there's people right. that absolutely love it. So yeah. Totally. But yeah, I mean, it's pretty, pretty bad. The acting is, <laughs> and like the stylization with the camera work and stuff is just kind of like so dated. Um, I still had a lot of fun with it. I was just like laughing a lot. I was just like <laughs> laughing my ass off. I was like, oh my God, this acting is, I mean, and Lee Winnell is one of the main actors and he's what, like a writer, director. So, I mean, it makes sense that he's not like the best actor and I'm pretty sure it was super low budget. And so they just used him because he wrote it. But um, yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> you know, it's like almost like I think they never expected that franchise to be that huge. You know what I mean? It just kind of seems like maybe like a movie that might've been made for like straight to DVD or something. And then it just took off or people loved it. So yeah. And now James Wan and Lee Winnell are huge. So Yep, they did something right. I noticed, um, don't ask me what they were now, but the two of the trailers in a row when we were before um, Thanksgiving were two James Wan movies. Now I cannot. One was horror and one wasn't, and I can't remember what they were right now. Sorry, but. Dipping in a non-horror. One was like something action-y. And then one was okay. straight up horror, but obviously it didn't stick in my brain. So it must have been one of like the Conjuring Universe movies, probably, right? I'm or... sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Although you know he's done a couple of original stuff and had a lot of fun with it, so I hope he starts doing that. And he didn't do Conjuring Three. Remember, someone else did that one. So yes, yes. So maybe maybe it's just his own thing. Hopefully. Um, but that's it for our Fright Bites. Now we're going to get into our reviews. For the last remaining three episodes of the fall of the house of usher 
Um, and so just to refresh everybody's memory, this is the eight episode drama that we're covering on our show Queens episode. Um, this is the last, the last one, but these have been really fun and I'm so excited that we got to cover a show that we both really like and that's like fairly fresh and new. Um, and it just makes me more excited for us to cover more shows in the future. Um, and we don't know if the listeners are enjoying this kind of a thing or not, but it's something that's important to Tammy and I because we're big fans of horror shows. And it's just not something that people really ever get to talk about on their horror podcasts. So we wanted to like kind of break it down, break up the episodes and really dive in um, because we love it. And you really, it's just like a show is so much more immersive than a movie for the most part, because you just spend so much more time with the characters. So I don't know. It's just shows can be like way better than movies if they're done right. So well, you get to deep dive, right? Like, I mean, by the time this is over, you and I will have probably talked almost as long about it as it actually was, you know, because there's just <laughs> right. so much to talk about. And I love talking about movies and TV shows. So I'm all for it. Yeah. Right. Especially because this is a really meaty show with great writing. Um, and that's not always the case, sadly, because there's a lot of shows where it's like they don't actually know what their destination is. You know, they just kind of come up with a beginning and then they have all these different writers come in and write different episodes and yeah. and they just kind of figure it out. And you're, you could just tell it's kind of a mess. Um, but something like this, it's like so well constructed and imagined by like, a you know, a big I mean, I know he has like a team of people, but this like soul creator and magician, you know, working on this project in uh, Mike Flanagan. So, yes. Yeah, yes. and it's a masterpiece. I stand behind that wholeheartedly. I agree. So, so we're gonna get into episode six, uh, which is called Goldbug, um, which is named after the story The Goldbug. And in this episode, Pim digs up disturbing information on Verna uh, with her marriage on the decline. Tamerlan hosts a turbulent product launch that shatters expectations. And shatters a whole lot more than that. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it so, does. <laughs> at the beginning of this episode, um, after Victorine's death, the ushers are near collapse. The end is near. And in the present day, Roderick tells a completely bewildered Augie his story. A story that's being told to Roderick by his dead children. Or maybe his hallucinations. Or are they ghostly visitations? We're not sure. Um, and I just want to mention, because at this point in the show, he is still reluctant to believe that this is Verna, you know, and any anything like supernatural. It's like you're seeing your dead kids. And I guess you can just say it's your hallucinations or whatever, but it's like all your kids are dying in a row. Even Madeline is like, Mm. Yeah. <laughs> heard your kids just died in a row. Like we're obviously being targeted. He's yeah. like, you were there. You remember the conversation with the bartender, right? Um, so that is like a little frustrating for me because he's seen all this crazy. I mean, he was there at Victorine's death and saw what she did to herself and what she did to her girlfriend. Like, I don't know. You've gotta, you've gotta at some point be like, yeah, this is pretty weird. This is not, normal well i'm i'm personally 
going with the belief that they are ghostly visitations. But even so, even if they are ghostly visitations, I don't know what it is he's telling himself to continue to. I guess he's just like he knows the minute that maybe he accepts that this is what's going on, then it might accelerate it or his turn might come. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think he's just maybe just trying to put off the inevitable. But, yes, he's definitely still in denial at this point. Yeah. Which, um, what is it? Do they all die within a week, maybe two weeks? I mean, it's real quick. So yeah. what are the chances of even two of your six kids dying in right. a row, let alone, you know, one a day? <laughs> totally. Yeah. I don't know what the exact timeline is between deaths, but I know it's not that long. Um, and so he's, you know, still talking to Augie. And then we kind of go into uh, Tamerlin's house with her. We could just call her Tammy. <laughs> just kidding. That might be confusing, actually. <laughs> but um, she's starting to have her own hallucinations, and her insomnia is getting real bad. This is when yeah. we really start to see her. She's, like, editing the, her script for the product launch, and she starts kind of crossing off stuff and rewriting things. And then all of a sudden she wakes up and looks down and she had written a bunch of crap on the script that she doesn't remember. And she had drank her coffee and she's just holding an empty mug, just fell asleep in place. There's one point where she like falls asleep in the bathroom and wakes up by hitting her head against the mirror. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> you are yeah. tight, lady. <laughs> so she is feeling it. And um, there's a point when... Um, Bill comes over because uh, Victorine's death is now on television, you know, in the news. And he comes over and is talking to her because he's worried about her. Um, And she's like, I don't need you. Just leave your keys and get out of here or whatever. Um, You know, which is really sad. And then like a second later, we see her telling him like, you know what? I'm really sorry. It's just this is also hard. She's saying all this really heartfelt stuff finally to him. Only to realize that she had fallen asleep again and he left his keys and left already. So that was a really big bummer. That was kind of like the one second of like realness that we really see of Tamerlan. Yeah, I wanted so much for it to be real. And I think that's how she really did feel about him deep down. But yeah, it was another whatever, whatever she's going through, dream, waking dream, hallucination, total dream. I don't know what she's, I don't know if these are blackouts or sleeping or whatever they are, but yeah. But I think she's starting to lose her grip on reality and what's, well, we'll see in a few minutes here, like how bad Mm -hmm. she's losing her grip on reality. But yeah, I think she's not knowing what's really going on and what's not anymore. Yeah, and at least when she's at home dealing with these kind of minor blackouts on her own, we see her starting to kind of freak out like, okay, there's something wrong. I really do need to get sleep. I should have listened to Bill. You know, you could see like the gears kind of turning in her head and her eyes kind of like get big when she wakes up every time. Um, but when Has she's she started seeing Verna yet or does that come later after she goes back home? When she starts seeing Verna in the mirrors? Uh, that's later when she later? comes back okay. home. All yeah. Right. Yeah, at this point, she's just having, like, these little um, inconvenient blackouts around the house while she's trying to get ready for her launch. Um, And we also flash back to Roderick, and he's giving us (laughs) this kind of monologue about this birthday gift that he got for Madeline, um, who's obsessed with immortality. So he got her... 
um, <laughs> the eyes of a goddess, which are, what are they exactly? They're like, oh, they're sapphire, sapphire eyes of the pharaoh Tuseret, uh, removed from the mummy and sent to his office. And it took him a lot of money and a lot of patience to get these for her, but he finally did. And he's like clearly excited that he was able to obtain these and again is going into, you know, how he's like the most powerful man in the world because of his wealth, basically. Um, and I think it's funny because we see him throughout the show, you know, kind of like become more human as like his children start to die. But then he always comes back to these moments of, you know, offering the cognac that's worth twice of yeah. Augie's salary or something. And he and can't the, help himself almost. Yeah. Know? And he always does it in like a really braggy way. And it's mm -hmm. like literally nobody around him gives a shit. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, especially because he's like mostly talking to Augie throughout the yeah. show. And Augie definitely doesn't give a shit. He's like, right. okay, <laughs> sure, buddy, whatever. Um, so I always think that that's funny, but he does it in such a poetic way. Um, so that happens. And then also, <clears throat> excuse me. And then also um, we meet up with Arthur Pym again about Verna. Um, and again, he's talking to Madeline and Roderick in their office about how she is clearly involved in some way. Um, and this is what we were talking about, how Madeline's like, yes, this is some weird thing that's happening. And Roderick's so reluctant for some reason. Yeah. Um, and you could tell that. Um, Pim, I mean, and he like totally respects Roderick because when Roderick leaves the room, Madeline's like, he's wrong, you know, and he's like, well, I respect him greatly. And she's like, that's great. But like, there's some shit going down that we got to get figured out, you know, and you tell, I think that Pim believes her. Yeah. Um, even well, though it's he... a little hard at this point. I think everybody else can see it, no matter how much denial Roderick's in. I think everybody else can can no longer deny something is going on. And right, yeah, I don't think that Pim thinks of her as a supernatural creature per se yet. I think he does later. But as yeah. of right now, because they don't, they this is where it says they find the pictures of her online, like with other um, important oh, yeah. people. And it's like, and they're okay. like, well, maybe she's a relative of, of some, you know, she's somebody important, obviously, but. Yeah, until he he pulls out the picture of her with the guy who founded Monsanto in like 1901 or something. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> so cool. Like, I love it. You know, it's really cool. But I have to say that him having all these pictures of her throughout history, while like, okay, it proves a point. It's so dumb and cheesy. Like, that's dumb. Those pictures exist. Death is just in pictures with everybody. <laughs> like, yes, don't you know? I get the point. It's just like dumb. I don't appreciate it. <laughs> like well, all these I like figures. It. Uh, anyways, and like, why did it take him so long to find those? I don't know, because he's like the best at whatever it is he does. But I thought that that was really cheesy, to be completely honest. Um, but he found her patient file in Victorian's things uh, and follows the address on file, which leads him back to Roderick and Madeline's childhood home. Um, and actually he doesn't go in yet. They don't have their, I don't think they meet yet in this episode, but he's just like outside of the home, figures out like where he is, you know, and is like, okay, yeah, clearly this woman is messing with you guys because 
This is where she led me. Um, so he, uh, he also tries to find information about the bartender or any bartender near that area. And Madeline is convinced that, you know, she must have just gone to the wrong bar or something and she has to be somewhere. And he's like, no, that's not it. So Madeline, I don't know. It's like she knows something weird is happening, but it's almost like she also doesn't think it's a supernatural thing if she thinks that she's really a bartender. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that's yeah. a little confusing to me, but yeah, that I feel like that storyline of them just like not believing that she's a supernatural entity is just like really confusing in general, but especially at this point. <laughs> I think. They've got, to, I think they know, I think they're just like, I think they're just afraid to say it. And I think they're just like still trying to fool themselves. You know what I mean? I think they both yeah. feel like the minute they acknowledge it, even to each other, it's going to just accelerate or I don't know what, I mean, it's not going to change what's going to happen because I mean, technically they've known this while well, they were told this was going to happen 30, 40 years ago. So it's yeah. just now coming to fruition and I don't, maybe because Madeline's so like science based, you know, and her, or, um, you know, and all of her like algorithms and computer stuff and all that. I don't know. Um, maybe that's, and I don't think Roderick was quite so cerebral, but yeah. maybe that's why he gave into believing in Verna maybe a little bit more before Mad. I mean, they're both going to come to that realization pretty soon here, but, um, yeah, I don't when know. They, don't I, have a, they can't turn away anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just got to just be denial, but deep down they both know it that this is what's going on. So it has to be. I, yeah. I don't know. And they're just, unless they're just straight up lying to themselves. Right. Living in and denial. In this part of the story I found really fun is when uh, Roderick is explaining to Augie who Pim really is. And he tells him, you know, when Pym was 25, he wormed his way onto the Transglobe Expedition of 79, an exploratory mission that circum, uh, circumnavigated the globe. And as Roderick is telling him this, uh, that Pym saw the world, the good and the bad, and he's willing to talk about his adventures, but stops once he gets to the North Pole. Roderick thinks that maybe he killed someone or ate someone or both. Uh, <laughs> He used to tell the Usher kids about it. He'd say that Pim discovered the Earth was hollow, and up at the North Pole was an island called Ultima uh, Thule, the realm of beings who lived beneath us out of time and out of space. <laughs> um, so I just found this moment really fun, and you really do get to hear, too, just the admiration that Roderick has for Pim. And while they're partners, they both seem to really respect each other yeah, um, mm -hmm. and rely on one another. And they still both have their secrets, you know, that nobody else knows, except for Roderick. Of course, he's shared everything with Madeline, so she knows. But there's stuff that he hasn't told Pim and that Pim hasn't told him, and they're okay with that. Um and this is this is the first time we get any sort of like humanity to the Pym character too. That it's the first time we get any kind of a back history to him, or even really think of him as a person that had a life prior to all of this. You know? Yeah, and we get a few more tidbits throughout the rest of the series. 
Um, just like these really cool moments with him that I really like. Um, but this is kind of one of the first, you're right, like inklings of like him being an actual person <laughs> with a history. Um, and so then we also follow Madeline down into the basement of Fortunato again, uh, where once again she finds Broderick sitting in front of that brick wall that he always likes to sit in front of. Um, <laughs> and she's trying to get him to go to the product launch um, for Tamerlan uh, because it's like a big deal. It's supposed to make their company look better. Um, Tammy, not Tamerlan, but our Tammy had mentioned before, you know, that her deal is that she's trying to actually get into like health and beauty products and something outside of the pills to kind of make it seem like the company actually has some sort of legitimacy in and caring about people. So this is kind of a big deal. It's like a positive thing that they could be involved in. And he's like, obviously just kind of losing it. And he's like, why should I go to that? And Madeline slaps him and she's like, shut your mouth and get your shit together. (laughs) Um, and it's really funny, but he's like, he's just kind of, you know, he's starting to, he's starting to feel the death of his children, I think. Yeah. Um, and the actual gravity of that and not just wanting to keep going along with the motions, the everyday motions that they have to, you know, to keep up their, their exterior, their, you know, fortitude and exterior as the Fortunato. Um, well, Chewie, I think he also, he might have had a little bit of glimmer thinking that this artificial heart was going to be a success. So in the last day or two, he also just found out he no longer has that hope, you know, right. after he discovered that that was all a farce, too. So I think it's just slowly by slowly, the bricks in his wall are coming down. You know, his little house of cards is starting to crumble now. Yes, totally. And he, you know, he said to Madeline, too, when... um when she's trying to convince him that there's something weird going on with the Verna character, he's like, I was there when Victorine killed herself. She just stabbed herself right in front of me. And she clearly didn't have help with her girlfriend. Like, it was very clear to me that she had done that on her own, you know, hold up in their place. And when he's saying that, you could see it's he's saying it kind of matter of factly, but also like you could tell he's kind of like stunned from that experience of watching his daughter just stab herself in front of him. Um, which is sad. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to have three of your children die, but then one to do it like right in front of you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's and in the way that she did it, where she's clearly kind of losing her crap and she's like, daddy, I'm sorry, you know, and she's yeah. trying to get this thing going for him. Um, yeah, it's just pretty tragic. Uh, but then next we go to the Goldbug launch. Um, <laughs> and this is a really hilarious scene where <laughs> Tamerlan comes out on the stage and right away she thinks that she sees Candy, uh, a.k.a. Berna. And so her first lines on the stage are, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> Something to that effect. And the lady who's just like, you know, hyping up the crowd and getting everything ready is like, oh, it's yeah. Just- and moves out of the way and then you know Tamerlan like kind of comes back to herself and she's like oh fuck I just did a weird thing and she's like I mean what the fuck are we all doing here like trying to get the crowd hyped yeah. and on the same level as her just kind of try to play cool um and as she's kind of going through her slideshow and explaining the product she sees Candy out in the crowd 
Um, and they're kind of having this conversation, this little back and forth. And so she's just like starting to lose it more and more. Like she keeps trying to ignore that she's there, but she can't eventually. And she's just like, what the fuck are you doing here? And she throws the microphone into the crowd and it hits her <laughs> stepmom in the face. Her poor stepmom. Oh, I forgot her name, by the way. Juno. 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 Poor Juno is there trying to support her. And they had actually had this kind of touching moment before the launch where um, Tamerlan came over to their house because she wanted to talk with her father, but he wasn't there. And Juno's been at the house all by herself like really nervous because she hasn't heard from Roderick and she saw the news about uh, victory and dying. And they have this moment where she's like kind of rambling about how she's alone and how she's always wanted a family. And, and you could tell that um, Tamerlan's kind of like, I'm busy and I don't really like you, but I feel like there is this kind of like just a tiny moment of her being like, this is a person, you know, for sure. Um, Instead of just being frustrated with her much younger stepmother. But so her stepmom comes to like support her at the launch after they have this moment and she just throws a microphone at her, which I'm pretty (laughs) sure she knocks her unconscious. Yeah, yeah, she does. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It's like messed up, but hilarious. (laughs) So funny. But we see her, she just freaks out. She loses it. She starts smashing. Um, all the screens um, because she starts to hallucinate that there's like one of their sex videos playing as well during her slideshow, one of her weird sex videos with like um, uh, why can't I think of the word with Bill and a lady of the night. Yes. Um, uh, escort. Yes. Yes. And what does she tell her to do? She's like eat out her ass and lick her armpits or something. <laughs> Now, mind you, this, like, so Tamerlan's up on stage doing all this, but she's seeing, seeing things no one else can see. So to everyone, so and she's, like, at, like, a press conference kind of a thing, right? And, like, yeah. so everybody in the crowd's just, like, uh, and she's I just up on the stage going crazy. It. Yeah. Oh, my God. So she, like, runs out of there. There's some sort of reporter or something that, like, ooh, Tamerlan Usher is done. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. And um we see Madeline Madeline's there trying to support support it too, but she's looking around because she's like, Okay, she can clearly see Verna in the crowd somewhere. And so she's looking around and then she sees her, but when she tries to run up to her and grab her, she disappears into yeah. like a of dust kind of. And so now Madeline, I think, knows, okay, this is a supernatural thing finally in your face. This woman turned into black dust when you try to touch her. Please no longer deny that this is here. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that happened. <laughs> uh, and then we go back to Tamerlan's place where she's walking around the house freaking out. She starts seeing Verna in all the mirrors talking to her. Uh, Verna does mention that Tamerlan had um, a twin in the womb that she consumed um, so that's kind of just like a fun little extra detail that only death would know, you know, so, yeah. and yeah. then she kind of tries to play on that because Tamerlan keeps like imagining Candy is trying to like steal her spot or something, you know, or, like take over her place, like as a person and as Bill's wife and as this product launcher and, 
So she, Verna's joking that maybe she's really her twin that she ate in the womb and stuff like that, just trying to like mess with her even more. And she does the thing where she tells her like, you can still call Bill. There's still time. You can tell him how you really feel. So again, she's trying to give her this chance um, to do the right thing, which she does not. Um, and Tamerlan is just going around smashing mirrors because, you know, now when she's looking in a mirror, she's just seeing like Verna and no longer yeah. seeing her frilly. Um, right. yeah. And when she goes to smash the mirrors that are above her bed, which I'm sure is part of her cane, yeah. it is a really, really cool scene, um, <laughs> cinematically. Like, yes, up with this fire poker. And hits the mirrors, and then we watch her in slow motion, like, fall down onto her bed along with all the shattered glass of the mirror. Um, and she gets stabbed, of course. Um, yeah. But it just looks really cool when she's falling backwards. Um, and that is the end of poor Tamerlan Usher. So who's yeah. left? Just one, right? Just, just Roderick? Rick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, poor Tammy. Um, so that's how that's how it goes down with her. Uh, and then <laughs> this is also the beginning of Frederick really starting to do some terrible shit to his wife back home. Yes. And right now it's still more mental. I mean, he's physically like drugging her so she can't like get better or escape or anything. But right now he's still just like super hopped up on coke and saying things to her like, you know, I guess you just never really know someone, do you? Um, and his daughter is really freaked out. Lenore is like, where are all the specialists? What's going on? Um, and he's trying to tell her like, oh, well, she's getting better. So she just doesn't really need they come when they're needed. And all yeah, they stuff. come when you're at school or whatever. Right. They He tells her yeah. they come when she's not there now. Mind you, she is, like, in a full body cast. You can pretty much just, like, she has holes for her eyes in her mouth, really. Like, she can't yeah. talk or she's totally at at the mercy. of. And, you know, there are no specialists coming. There are no doctors. The only person that's tending to her is Frederick. And yeah. um, he's he's giving her the, the, the Fortunato drug, right, isn't he? He is. I don't know yeah. if it's Ligodone, but he's definitely using something from Fortunato that's supposed to keep her quiet and still, but she's supposed to still kind of have her faculties about her and be able to see and hear. Um, so, yeah, there's a scene where Morella is watching a movie with Lenore, um, yeah. which I didn't look up what movie it was. It was some old um, it looked like maybe like an original Pit and Pendulum movie. Um, not the one that we watched, not the Corman one. I don't know if there's one that like precedes it, but there's a giant pendulum, um, in that movie that they're watching and the next episode coming up is also the pit and the pendulum. So, so that's yeah, the, the pendulum. Mm. <laughs> and, um, they're watching this movie and then Morella is able to kind of talk a little bit. So Lenore very excitedly goes and tells her dad and he reacts in a really, you know, strange way. And she's just kind of picking up on what he's putting down. Like dad's acting real weird. I don't know what's going on here. I believe his is, and I'm sure it's the drugs, but at this point, I mean, do you think he brought her home with the intention of doing to her what he ultimately did to her? I don't or, think so. I don't think so either. It seems like, like I don't he, know exactly what his goal was, but I think he just kind of like descends further and further 
into like the Coke and just thinking yeah. crazy and then becoming more and more bitter, you know? So that's what I think too. Yeah. That's what yeah. I think. Cause we so pretty much get more, like he's doing Coke in front of her at this point before he gives her the drug from Fortunato. Yeah. Um, and that's how this episode ends. So now we're like, okay, this dude is a bad. Well, he's starting to like get in her face about, and like, straight yeah. up accuse her and then she can't she can't defend herself she can't do anything she's at his mercy and he's starting okay. to like you know because she went to this party and he thinks that she was he's accusing her of a lot of her of a lot yes she went to the party but he's accusing her of a lot of things she never did and is not deserving of what he ends up doing to her but yeah. in his mind i think he's yeah with the drugs and just convincing himself more and more and oh this poor right. woman yeah. And he asked her the question, like, how many times did you fuck him? But then he drugs her so she can't even answer. Yeah, right. It's really right. Because she kind of tries to answer, but it's like, no, it's not what you think. And yeah. then he just doesn't give her the chance. So pretty gross. Um, I feel like this whole storyline is, like, the most unsettling throughout the series for me. It's just, like, every time we're in one of these scenes where she just is so handicapped and can't do anything, and she's waking up from this, like, horrific um, experience, you know, and her daughter doesn't know what's happening either, and it's just, like, so scary and sad and distressing, and I hate it, but it's good. Yes, Yes. (laughs) all of those things, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but it just shows how unhinged this family is, you know, just... yeah. Especially because he actually seems, like, relatively normal for, like, most of the beginning of the series. I think, too, because he just kind of seems dumb, whereas a lot of them seem, like, really smart. And, like, they're using their smarts to get ahead, whereas he kind of seems like... Um, So you just kind of think, like, well... Like, he's obviously... He also has been very privileged, and that comes across. But he's always just, like, bowling and hanging out with his daughter and his wife. And, like, he just seems, like, maybe more normal than the others. But apparently not. Well, with the help of cocaine or whatever, not. (laughs) Definitely brought out worse than him, for sure. Yes. I don't know that he'd have gotten – he, I'm sure, was still mad at her. But I don't know if he'd gotten to – would have gotten to quite the same place without the drugs. Yeah, I'm sure not. Yeah, I'm sure he's just going down crazy rabbit holes in his brain about what she must have done. Well, uh, plus, his, he's, all of his siblings are dying now. Somewhere in his mind, he's got to be thinking, my God, I'm the last one. Like, But you don't ever see him really like, yay, I'm going to inherit everything now. He never like seems to come to that realization or something. And But he never really comes to the realization that he's the only one left and it's going to be him next either. He's just like right. totally hyper fixated on his wife at this point and drugs. Yes, so, yeah, totally. Uh, so now this is going to bring us to episode seven, The Pit and the Pendulum. Uh, where a furious Frederick sets out to handle unfinished business, and Madeline receives an ominous message at an old haunt. Augie grows wary of Roderick's motives. Um, so, it's going to start off episode seven. I think he's uh, been wary of, of Roderick's motives, actually, the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> He has, but now I think he's clearly more unsettled by, like, the sound in the basement, for instance. (laughs) You know, I'm sure sitting here listening to this crazy, like, ghost story unfold, um, 
would do that to you. <laughs> You're in this creepy old house. It's like falling apart and it hasn't been used in years and years. And you're with this crazy guy who has admitted that he's hallucinating and there's weird sounds. Um, there's a scene where what happened? It's like the I think the window um, shatters towards um, Roderick or something. Maybe that was like Tamerlan with the mirror glass. Like coming at him, and he kind of freaks out and falls out of his chair, you know. And oh yeah, he's like, Augie's yeah. Like, Yay, what's going on here? So yeah, I would also be uh, cautious <laughs> in that situation. And it's just getting worse, you know. Oh yeah, just having more and more dead children come to visit him while he's telling this tale. So that's fun. <laughs> So, as we had mentioned, now there's only Freddie left um, after Tamlin meets her sharp-edged end. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes, like you were saying, you'd think he would think, oh, wait, I'm the last child. But, of course, this hasn't crossed his mind at all. Um, <laughs> no. It, no. No. So, uh, we see Augie get, like, definitely more creeped out. And he's trying to be like, okay, you're dragging the story out. I do not feel comfortable. Get to the point where I'm leaving. Like, I got to go. Yeah. I'm not saying. Mm-hmm. He's, like, clearly feeling threatened. And so then Roderick is finally like, I'm going to admit to murder. This is where this is going. You know, and Augie's like, yeah. oh, okay, so now you say that, and now I have to say. And he's like, well, yeah, basically, you know, which he does, but... He, you know, he had to give him something to get him to stay because Augie was, like, not there for what was going on. Um, well, the the noises from the basement are getting louder, and Roderick's acting weirder and weirder. Yeah. And I just, I mean, even if none of that extraneous stuff was going on, just being in this weird basement with this guy who's obviously facing demons of some kind that you cannot see, like, I'd be yeah. like, you know what? I think I'm going to call 911 and I'm going to leave, you know. Right. Yes. Oh, and also we get this terrible scene um, where Roderick is imagining Annabelle Lee come in with a tiny uh, yes. tiny child, Freddie, mm-hmm. um, you know, who runs up to Roderick and he picks him up. And yeah. this is one of those instances where Augie's just sitting there like, okay, there's some sort of scene playing out that I'm <laughs> yeah. not a part of. I can't see this. But um, but Roderick can. So Roderick goes to pick up Freddie and he's all cute and smiley. And then all of a sudden he's like a dead child in his arms and the bottom half of his body falls apart and his intestines fall out. And it's like pretty gruesome. And Roderick has a very apt reaction uh, to what he is seeing, you know, and it's oh, that's got to be the worst one for him out of like all of his. Dead children visions. I feel like that one's pretty bad. Um, Do we see the hole in Annabelle's head here, or that's just in the church where she's you know, blown her own I, brains out? I can't remember. I know we see it in the church for sure. But yeah, I couldn't remember if we saw it here too. But we, I don't we think learned... we. I don't think we saw it here. Because even though, well, I don't know if she's considered family and part of the story, but ultimately. He was 
responsible for her also because he took he took the kids away from her and yeah. she ends up killing herself so yeah. it's really freaking terrible yes yes and this is where we um we really get to go back to 1979 and seeing Augie and um Roderick working together on this case and Annabelle Lee you know being like I support you but also I'm really scared about what could happen like, I know that Fortunato is doing illegal stuff, but you're technically doing something illegal, too. And so that really freaks me out. But if you think it's the right thing to do, like, I'll be here for you. Um, and so that's where we really get more of this kind of story. And this is where you had mentioned Augie um, is telling Roderick, like, you're a lucky man to have Annabelle Lee. Um, and in turn Roderick's like do you have someone at home that makes you lucky and he's like yes I do he's at home waiting for me and so that was a really sweet moment it's really cute and Roderick doesn't look like perturbed by that at all Um, no and that's where I think like they have like I'm gonna use the word love I think they do have like a love for each other not in a weird way just like really deep friendship but what what Augie has him doing is he's got him going down into the records and making copies of these fake signatures and and sneaking them out and giving them to Augie so that Augie can, because he's what, works for the attorney general. He's not the attorney general yet, but he works for him or whatever. And they're trying to put this case together that's going to bring Fortunato down. And, you know, Annabelle is actually kind of proud of her husband and Mm -hmm. all that. And Madeline's not on board, right? She... Yeah, she's actually, I think she's, like, not really present in these scenes because she's kind of, I think she's already planted the seed in his head of what they're actually doing. But she's not around for these scenes where they're, like, getting along and working on the case. And um, Roderick's like, tell me specifically everything you need for this case to succeed um, so that I don't get in trouble and we're able to take out the CEO because if we don't, then I'm totally fucked. Right. (laughs) So he's, like, definitely going along with him. They're, like, rehearsing, like, stuff that could be asked during the case. Um, We do see Roderick get a little short with little baby Freddy at one point because he's making a lot of noise while they're trying to, you know, remember stuff. And Annabelle Lee's like, he's a kid. Kids make noise. Sorry. Um, Not terrible. It doesn't make Roderick look like a terrible dad. I would have done that, too. I'd be like, Raina, (laughs) shut the fuck up. It just shows how tightly wound he is. And, you know, yeah. once again, we, we said about him having the angel and the devil on his shoulder. And he is kind of like being pulled into directions or, well, I don't know. I don't know if Madeline's, yeah, Madeline's told him what she's thinking at this point, right? I think yeah. so. And, like, he knows he's ultimately got to make a decision which way this is going to go. Right. But right up until the very end, we believe he's going to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, because the next we're we're at the actual court where they're talking. They're not like in, sorry, they're not in court court. You know where they're like he's getting deposed. They're in a deposition where they're all like (laughs) sitting at the conference room and uh, deposing him at this point. Exactly, and they're kind of going over the information, and then as this woman that's um, I think on Augie's team is like asking him questions and stuff. This is where we find out that Roderick is totally flipping the switch and not going along with any of the actual information or helping Anki anymore. Now he's just, like, making up shit and saying that he did sign all these forms. Um, 
you know, and that there's nothing illegal going on. And you could see in Augie's face him look really confused and then him be like, okay, I see what you're doing. Because they had rehearsed all the questions and the answers. And at first he was kind of going along with it. But then as this deposition goes on, he's not answering the right question or he's not answering the right answers to these rehearsed questions. And so the lady's like, no, I'm, did you know that, you know, she like tries asking it a couple different ways, like, come on, you know, the right thing. And he's just like, nope, never happened. Yeah. He does not do the right thing. Yeah. It's really messed up and disheartening. And also Annabelle Lee had brought Freddie along with her to the court so that she could see or so he could see his dad being a hero and all this stuff. And when he shows up, um, Roderick's like, why are you guys here? I thought you were staying home. She's like, I wanted him to see his dad be a hero. And that's not what you're going to see today, kid. Sorry. <laughs> today or ever. Yeah. So it's a really sad scene. Um, and the whole time you're just like, no, do the right thing. This is like a huge turning point in his life, you know? The worst. This is like the beginning of the end for him. Yeah. So. In all really, kinds of ways. Really sucks. Um, and, uh, you know, Roderick is briefly arrested for perjury, but as Madeline cruelly explains to a shocked Annabelle, uh, he just made himself the most important fortune auto employee on the planet. He is a hero and a legend, and now he has the company in the palm of his hand. They're going to get him out of jail and they'll owe him everything. Um, and then of course, meanwhile, Augie's, you know, career is trashed and Annabelle is heartbroken and she ends up leaving Roderick. Um, rightfully so. So I just hate, I hate that this happened, but then again, we can't have any of this story if it doesn't, but it's just like, you just want to smack him and be like, this is the wrong choice. Turn back now. (sighs) So after Tamerlan's death, uh, it's never been more apparent that Fortunato board will have the power to oust Roderick as the chairman. Um, and while to his face, Madeline offers her support behind his back, she's telling Pim that because of his degenerative disease, Roderick's a liability uh, and that she should be made chairwoman of the company. And she wants to bring Fortunato into the future by pushing it out of pharmaceuticals and into tech. <laughs> and this will never happen with her brother at the helm. It's like the, but it's like the ultimate betrayal too. It is. Like, and also like, you can't help but wonder if she's been planning this all from the get go. And maybe she didn't know for sure, you know, how or when, or if she could get Roderick out, but it's like, she had this plan in her back pocket in case she could. Sorry. That was, sorry. <laughs> what's happening? sorry i just got snapchatted i thought i had it there it's on do not disturb i'm so sorry that's okay it sounds like you're playing some wacky video game or something kids 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 um but yeah so this is pretty messed up um and you know it's also the kind of thing that you could say and it does make sense, like, reasonably, you know, that you wouldn't just automatically be like, oh, my God, you're a heartless bitch. You know, you could be like, you know what? You're right. 
he does have a degenerative disease and also the board is not going to back him at this point, probably. And, you know, so. Except at this point, like I had really liked Madeline up until this point, even though she had that badness in her, you know, I still liked her. But at this point, it's like I, I almost like you said, like, was this her ultimate end thing or did it just come to her like, now I can take advantage of my brother who's got the degenerate. I mean, because all this time she could have been waiting to see if it was going to show up in her too, you know, yeah. but now it seems like, oh, well, it showed up in him and now I can take over. I can overturn the ruler and, and take over. And, you yeah. know, if she wasn't already fated to her fate, uh, her, she's, it's not a bad idea what she's doing because Fortunato needs to get out of the drug business and, and into tech ultimately. Yeah. To survive, but I just don't, I just don't think there's any goodness behind her intentions. You know what I mean? Oh, no, just, definitely not. Yeah. And what her whole thing is like algorithms, you know, and figuring out like the odds of different scenarios and stuff. So I'm sure she did have this scenario somewhere plugged into her AI computer machine thing. I don't know. <laughs> No, I think you're totally right. I don't, I think it's an opportunity that presented itself maybe a little sooner than she thought it was going to, but yeah. I'm sure that was kind of her plan. I mean, maybe, maybe like, cause obviously now the thing with Tamerlan's not going to work out. The company can't like stay in healthcare or, you know, health or whatever and like go <laughs> in a positive direction. So they obviously need something else, but I mean, I think her plan was probably would have been a good one and a smart one, but yeah, I think it's just she took advantage of an opportunity here. Again, Absolutely. acting like death is not coming for her. When it, I know. It all like, Even though she's pretty sure now. Um, yeah, she's they're funny like that. You know, they just always have their priorities totally mixed up, even when it's like they're at their end. They still care about the shit that does not matter. I think they've just been had you know so self-absorbed for so long and so above everyone and everything that I think in Madeline's mind she truly believes like she's even above Verna like she can she's gonna get away with you know Verna's not gonna get her you know what I mean yeah she's somehow gonna beat this rap I think she thinks so which is so fun it's just hilarious because it's like power and wealth do not fucking matter if you're dead (laughs) no and you know what fuck around and find out because she's about yeah. to. You know what I mean? I know, it's just so funny. Like death doesn't care about your money. You're going to try and pay her off. Like I don't understand what your yeah. game plan is here, but, um, but yeah, you're right. They're just like really delusional and always have been and always will be because you know, they're yep. so used to just having all the power. Um, so uh, in this scene, sorry, one second. Mm-hmm. I totally lost my spot. Um, I can't even tell you a page because you know it's right. It says after Tamerlan's death, it's never been more apparent that the Fortunato board oh. will have to. Do you see that? Yes. Yeah. So Madeline decides to go back to their childhood home, knowing that Verna will be there because you know Pim's been like scoping out the place. Um, and she's right, Verna. <laughs> a satanic demon or death itself is awaiting Madeline's arrival. 
and then we learn that back on that New Year's Eve in 1979, Madeline and Roderick entered into some sort of deal with Verna. And it's because of this deal that all of these deaths are occurring. Yeah, we're uh, starting to get the big picture now. Yes, finally. Yeah. It's time to pay the Reaper. <laughs> That's right. Um, but Madeline thinks that she can rego- renegotiate terms with Beth. Um <laughs> Which is so funny. And because uh, it's not a thing that can be done, Madeline then breaks Verna's neck, um, which is hilarious because Verna obviously can't be killed. She is deaf. Um, And so (laughs) Verna offers clarity by way of a poem. Uh, And this is when she recites Edgar Allan Poe's The City and the Sea about a city ruled by death. And Madeline knows what she needs to do now. Um, (laughs) Or at least she thinks she does. It's just so, I mean, and then when we finally get, I don't know if it's even in this episode, it might be in the next episode, but when we finally actually get the full layout of what the deal is, I don't know, like, what were they, what is the game, what are they thinking? This is probably the one thing that's really frustrating for me with the show is just like, you made this pact, like, you knew the rules, I don't know why you think you can cheat death. Because they've beaten every, I think it's just. But back when they made the pact, they they didn't have anything yet. You know what I mean? I think they just thought that – I don't think they understood at that point what they were – they didn't know who she was at that point. They just probably thought she she was some whack bartender, really. I think they might have thought it was a game. You know, you don't believe you're making a deal with the devil or death or whatever you want to call her. Um, yeah. They didn't. I don't think they realized they were making a legitimate deal with the devil, kind of. You know, like for their souls, basically. I but mean, that's also, fine if they didn't realize it at that time. But with all of this going on, and then like confronting her and seeing her in all these old tiny pictures, then they should realize. I totally agree, real. but they just don't. For what? Or somehow they just. I don't know, maybe would you not give up trying till you've exhausted every, I mean, do you just give in and say, okay, death, take me now? Or do you keep trying to fight against it? Because they haven't even grieved their, or he hasn't even grieved his kids yet, really. Yeah. Not really. And uh, I mean, I understand it's all happening at once and he's probably like, what the F is going on? Yeah. But it he hasn't, I mean, I think this well, is all happening in like a week or maybe two because the funerals all happen so like you know uh, yeah. you got three of them at a time so they're happening one right after the other and I just I don't know maybe he was just trying to we're not going without a fight I have no idea I mean I, I would not if I wanted to fight for my life I don't think that I would try and break death death's neck <laughs> after she had already disintegrated into like black dust before me do you know what I mean? I would be well, like, she, can you please take it back? I'll do anything. That's like the route I would take. I don't well, know. Well, doesn't she like break her neck and then roll her up in the rug, right? Isn't that what she did? And then well, like. Actually, I think that might be Pim. That might be an interaction that Pim has with her where he tries to oh, take care of her real quick. Okay. All right. I'm All right. Never mind. I mixed those two up. You're right. Yeah. Everyone thinks they can just kill death. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't know, but Madeline knows. So it's just kind of frustrating because she's not dumb. She's very smart. <laughs> I agree. I maybe I maybe we'll never know what. Well, obviously we won't know exactly what she's thinking because we never get a chance to find out. But all I can think is she just was not going to go down without a, fi- a literal fight. 
you yeah. know, with a broken neck if she had to. So. So she thinks she's got this all figured out after this interaction. And she goes to visit her brother, who's once again moping in front of that brick wall in the basement of Fortunato. Uh, and she reminds him of the deal that they made back in 1979. And she wants him to stop living in denial. Well, I wish he would take Tell her on black, advice. Right? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and she says, into the world together, out of the world together, or there's no deal. Um, is apparently what Verna said to them at that time. So they both believe there's only one way out of this, and that's with Roderick's death. So Madeline hands her twin a bottle of Ligodone and asks him to be a hero for her, for them. (laughs) And he starts taking fistfuls of the pills while Madeline repeats, that's a hero, that's a king, you're saving us all, which is like really gross and creepy. Yes. I'm like, Ooh, this makes me yeah. feel weird. I don't like yeah. it. Uh, and she, he does die in front of her, and she leaves him there and sets up the scene to look like a suicide. And she's attempting to ignore the sound of the jingling bells that she hears from behind that brick wall. So now we know it's not just his degenerative disease hallucinations. Um, and, you know, she thinks that she's figured a way out of this deal now. So she clearly is underestimating Verna, who appears in the basement and wakes Roddick up with a touch of her finger. And she tells him, I can't let you out that easy. Uh, And it appears that she has plans for Roderick and Madeline. So, yep. Which was to be expected because she's the supernatural being. But, you know, let's go go around wasting your time. It's cool. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, then we get to this awesome scene of Froderick outside of that building where Perry perished um, because they're going to take down this building, you know, and get rid of all the evidence. And he's been put in charge, you know, and earlier in this episode, um, Roderick had told him, like, you know, everyone's gone and the board's going to be gone and I really need you to take care of this and there's going to be a lot on your shoulders and he's all hopped up on cocaine and he's like okay my time has come I'm gonna do this um and so he's at the the site the construction site or soon to be construction site of this building that they're going to take down um and (laughs) he um he goes yeah. yeah, he goes into the building at some point. Oh, I'm totally forgetting a huge scene because he has this big scene with Morella before this happens because he's explaining to her, you know, that he's this all-powerful man and all this stuff. Um, sorry, one second. Okay, yeah, this is where he's uh, torturing Morella and he's put up pictures of them like all over the room. Um, it's like their wedding photo and some of them are just like blown up pictures and some of them are like cut up pixelated pictures turning into the one picture. It's really weird. Um, and he's giving her the paralytic still to keep her aware of her surroundings, but she can't move. Um, and he says that he's more of a single sufficiently brutal blow type of guy instead of a consistently cruel one. Um, so he brings out a pair of pliers, which he uses to pull her teeth out. And she's paralyzed. She can feel it. She knows what's going on, but she can't move or resist in any way. Yeah. It's horrible. It horrible. Is 
terrible. It's just horrific. Um, oh God. So it's after this that he's going to take care of that condemned building. But yeah, I almost totally skipped over that whole terrible scene. Um, so he's at that condemned building and, uh, while he's preparing to leave, um, he is making sure that he has enough cocaine in his pocket, of course. He must have gotten a big amount from Leo before Leo died. Or do yeah, you think seriously. he, like, found a new connection? <laughs> yeah, he must have, because he's, like, putting away mountains of this stuff now. Like, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and for a second, um, he freezes, almost like he's in a trance, which he doesn't notice, but Morella does. Um and so when we're at the condemned building, Freddie's asking the foreman to give him five minutes inside um, so that he can give the all clear because he wants to go in and look for Morella's wedding ring, which he had been harassing her about yeah. um, previously. He's like, we found all of your other stuff, but we haven't found your wedding ring. Where is it? Um, so he's like dead set on finding this ring, um, <laughs> which he has promised to weld to her finger, his, yeah. her finger, which she's. Christ. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. This guy is insane. Um, geez. So he takes another bump of Coke and then he's peeing on the floor um, as a way to tell Perry to rest in pee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when all of a sudden he freezes and collapses uh, and then Verna appears to inform him that it wasn't cocaine he ingested. It was the paralytic that he's been giving to Morella. Because yeah. he's, Good. like, Good. not paying attention. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that is good. Um, and so, <laughs> um, sorry, one second. Here comes the pendulum, people. Yeah. <laughs> so she's sitting there uh, now talking to Freddie, who is very much conscious, but is also now paralyzed. Um, that, uh, she doesn't normally intervene this directly, but that Freddie is so wretched that she couldn't help herself. Um, which I really love the scene when she was talking, talking to him. It's great because he deserves nothing less than what is about to happen to him. Cause she pretty um, much says to him, like, you even surprised me the level of your depravity, like how far you took this, you know, like your yes. level of cruelty. Oh. So. Um. Yeah, totally. She doesn't um, even give him the same kind of like we talked about that she gives other people like a choice or, you know, off gives them one last chance to do something good or whatever yeah. to uh, influence their fate. But with him, she's just like, you're so depraved and so low that I'm gladly here to see you out of this world. Yeah, you're right. I actually didn't I didn't even notice that, but totally. Um, yeah, she's pretty, she's disgusted with him completely, you know? Yes. Yeah. Cause he's proven himself to be that disgusting. Um, yep. just in all, recent... they're all disgusting, which like what, you know, but he's just like took it to the next level, which when, really you're, did. when you're an usher, it takes a lot to take it to the next level. <laughs> he found a way to do it. So, yes. Um, so so she gives it all clear over the radio using his voice. And yeah. so that's what she meant by intervening directly. Yeah. He, he can't say anything. Um, and so then a wrecking ball comes crashing through the building. And it's this really awesome scene of him just laying there and able to move and watching the, 
the building like crumble around him. Yeah. Um, it just looks really cool. It's an awesome, awesome scene. It is really, yeah. yeah. And she's sitting there with him as the debris form a makeshift pendulum uh, with quite a sharp edge. And it slowly slips closer and closer to Freddy, unable to do anything but watch as it begins slicing into his gut oh. over. Um, and then Which, if that wasn't. You're cheering for this at this point, but it's so hard to watch. Oh, it's it just, is. Wah, it's what a perfect. way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and eventually the entire building comes down on top of him. So if he wasn't already dead, he definitely is now. Um, but Verna stays there with him. Um, I mean, he doesn't die alone. She stays there with him, right? But then that's yeah, true. kind of see the whole, but like in a, not in a nice, like comforting way, like I'm going to watch you die kind of way. Yeah. Know? She's like, she's talking shit the whole time. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> so and he deserves it. To me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that ends episode seven. So we're about to get into our last episode. The one we've all been waiting for to find out what the heck has been going on this whole time. About to find out. And this is titled The Raven. Uh, And so in 1980, Roderick and Madeline seize a chance to cement their fortune for a price. And decades later, (laughs) (laughs) decades later, the remaining ushers reckon with the consequences. So we're finally going to get the full picture, the whole story. Everything is going to come together beautifully. I love this episode so much. There's so much good, just like visually and just I love how the story comes together. And oh, yeah, it's okay. Go ahead. Sorry. I just love your part so much. (laughs) Yes. I actually am reading through notes trying to figure out exactly where we start with this one. All right. A lot lot happens in here. Like in the other episode, we kind of focus on one sort of focus on one person per episode. I mean, yeah, other extraneous things go on. But this just there's a lot happening in this episode. There is. This is definitely a really great finale episode um everything just comes together and so um the jingling bells that are you know behind the brick wall that broderick kept visiting um and all the times that people referred to rufus griswold as a brick wall (laughs) to ram through or the moment the usher twins uh hit the fortunato new year's eve costume party and rufus is in that jester costume identical to the clown that's been haunting roderick um madeline and roderick murdered rufus griswold so that is kind of the last piece of the puzzle well one of the last pieces because we don't know the entirety of the pact yet either i don't think but right this is a big one that's been present throughout the entire series that you're just kind of like why does he keep going to the basement? Why, why are there bells jingling? Well, and why in is the scene, Jester in the car. In the scene in Jessica's background there behind her, for those of you watching on YouTube, it was a costume party. And, you know, this, that you get that, just that last part of the story way at the beginning. So you kind of know something happened, but you just never know. And I, I mean, I had my ideas at this point, but. Still, it kept me guessing for, like, the whole thing. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Me, too. 
Um, I also didn't try really hard to piece it together because I really wanted it to like yes do its thing and evolve or create its magic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I can't say that I could have figured it out if I really tried or not, but probably not. But it's also it's not like um, that far of a reach, which is great. No, that means the writing's good. <laughs> it's not, but I like like. I didn't know it was going to, well, and it, this is just what I believe, but I didn't know it was going to go to like a, a supernatural place. I mean, I was mm-hmm. figuring as we go through episode two, three, four, that Verna's obviously something. She's not just a bartender, but I just loved where, when we finally found out like about this pact and what they agreed to and, you know, what the jingling bells were. It, it's very satisfying. I'll say that. Yes. And so if I'm remembering correctly at this party, Madeline is enticing uh, Rufus, you know, with her sexual feminine wiles. And he's such a powerful, entitled man that he thinks that she's just falling at his feet, even though their last interaction would say otherwise. But he is going along with it. um, And she leads him down into the basement. And um, soon after... Uh, Roderick joins them, you know, and that is just as his paralytic and cyanide are hitting that were poured into his drink. Yeah. Um, and they put him in this brick wall that hadn't been completed yet. Um, during like renovations or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he still got his jester mask on and they're slowly sealing him into this wall while they're cementing the bricks and putting him in place and, He's begging and pleading, and they're just talking shit the whole time. Well, before that, the, like, the reason he's incapacitated, too, is he thinks that she's playing some sort of, like, sex game with him. So he allows himself to be tied up or chained up or something, right? <laughs> oh, you're right. He, and so she's kind of, like, until Roderick gets her, she's, she's playing along with this and still kind of enticing him. And he thinks they're about to, like, get busy. And it, even as... Even as Madeline and Roderick start putting these, because there was like a, it was like an unfinished wall. So they start mm-hmm. putting in these bricks to like seal them up. It, it still takes them a minute to like figure out what the heck is going on. But then it does. Yes. And I, and before I think, the begging and pleading, he tries to offer them a lot of money and stuff. Yeah. yeah. He, yes. Uh, all the things that probably work. should have offered him in the, Offered to Roderick from the get-go, the stuff that were truly his because the drug was his idea. But now, of course, he's going to try to offer it to him to try to get himself out of the hole in the wall. But it doesn't work. Yeah. And so this guy is sealed in the wall, very Edgar Allan Poe, as we all know. Um, And, you know, he's a douche, but it's still really terrible. And just thinking of him... Like I was just going to say, wall, suffocating slowly to death. Oh my god! I was just getting ready to say I hate this guy, but that was a tough scene. Actually, I really yeah. felt uh, his desperation, and he actually starts crying, and it was just it. It was yeah. I mean, it just shows yeah. how cut. And I think it's Madeline that's the cutthroat. Yes, Roderick went along with it, but I believe he was definitely following her lead. And yeah. I think he felt something when they were doing it, but Madeline's just as cold as ice. Man. Yeah, totally but straight I, face, just talking shit, telling him, you know, that no one's going to hear him scream down there. And it's just messed up. But I think she, too, like, 
yes, uh, Roderick had been dissed by him, but Madeline had been dissed by him also because remember she tried to go in there and get a job and all he's like, no, you can't have a job, but you know, I'll fuck you anytime you want. And I think yeah. she's just, this is very satisfying for her. You know, the fact that she was able to turn that around on him and finally, you know, promise him or give him what he's wanted all along that she's come to her senses and, you know, yes, yeah. she wants to sleep with this powerful man. And then she's able to just use his stupid maleness against him. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Also, just side note, I forgot that in episode six, um, Madeline had revealed to Tamerlin before she had gone out for the product launch that she had a, an ex-husband. So I know we were trying to think earlier, like, did Madeline ever get married? Really? Maybe she was I a lesbian. But she did mention an ex-husband at some point because Tamerlin's telling her how she misses Bill and she feels bad. And she's like, oh, don't, don't worry, everything you miss about him can be replaced. And she says, like, that she had been married and she felt that heartache at first too and then realized that it was a farce or whatever. So um it's interesting. Interesting little character development. Oh, I think she had said too that he had mentioned wanting kids and that was what ended up being their downfall in their marriage. I t- I do not remember that at all, but okay. which means that she clearly thinks the pact is real. In my mind, I don't know. Sorry. Or that's me. <laughs> I like, or did she just, was she afraid of passing the disease down if she had kids? Oh, maybe. That's you another know? thing. Yeah. Maybe she just didn't want fucking kids. Well, she was always, <laughs> seemed to be, like, the couple times we see her at their house when the kids are at, um, you know, Annabelle Lee and Roderick's house when the kids are younger, she's clearly irritated by that whole scene, so... <laughs> yeah, she, and that's her, what, niece and nephew, right? And she's just right. like... Yeah. Yeah. And so this is when we see that they head over to that bar in order to build an alibi, you know, after they've sealed Rufus into the wall. So that's what this whole thing has been throughout the series. Them trying to, you know, be seen, but not overseen or whatever and all that stuff. Um, And so in this scene, we get to see them chat with Verna a lot more than we have in previous scenes. Um, so it's actually kind of fun at first, you know, and Verna says these really like, how do I put it? She keeps like saying all these lines, you know, that sound very poetic, but she's actually being literal. Um, and I don't know, it's just funny the the way that she's like wording things and they're just like not catching the hint at first, Yeah, which like nobody would, but it's just the way she does it. So like theatrical, um, yeah. I love it. Um, and so they even end up closing the bar with her, um, and they're all just like hanging out and taking shots at the end. And that is when we see them form this pact. Um, and so she, um, she like lets on that she knows what they did, you know, and they're clearly freaked out by that. Um, And she knows that they want power and money and would do anything to get it. So she tells them that she can guarantee that their crime is never discovered and that they can go on to claim their birthright as the king and queen of Fortunato and never have to worry about being punished for any crimes in their lifetime. Uh, They can get away with it all. And the price for this guarantee will be deferred, she tells them. 
Let the next generation foot the bill, she goes on. And at the end of it all, just before you would have died anyway, uh, your bloodline dies with you. Uh, and they don't know whether to take her seriously or not. Um, you know, clearly. <laughs> but. But, I mean, she. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the fact that she knows what you did and how could she possibly know that, like, right there. You know, yeah. like, obviously something otherworldly is going on here. Exactly. And so it's after, you know, they're listening to the, and they're kind of trying to figure her out. She goes on and makes it clear that Roderick would go on to live a pretty long life. Um, although she doesn't warn him that he's going to get that vascular dementia that his mother had. Uh, and she reiterates that the twins have to die together and assures them that up until the point where everyone dies, they'll live a life of privilege. So it's up to them to decide what they want to do with the company. Uh, Verna simply wants to watch. Um, she just wants to see if they take this deal, what they're going to do. Um, and this is actually, this was really reminiscent for me of the Sandman series from Neil Gaiman. Um, so Neil Gaiman had wrote um, this like comic series back in the day before he was like this really big author um, called The Sandman. Which there's a Netflix show of actually that came out like a year or two ago. Oh, I think I've seen, I mean, I didn't watch it, but I think I've seen like the, I've seen it out there, but I didn't know what it was. It's actually good. I would personally recommend it. Very like fantastical, but I love the Sandman series too. Um, But I think like the choices they made for the show were really smart in comparison to like the comic series. Um, But anyways, uh, the Sandman is like the ruler of the dream world. Um, and then he has all these brothers and sisters and it's like death is one of them. And one of them is, you know, like they're, they're all these different facets basically. Um, but they're like supposed to be like, they can't, they can't cease to exist. Like if there's people, there's going to be dreams and there's going to be death and all of these things. So in a way they're kind of like slaves to humanity. Um, because in a way they kind of serve humans mm-hmm. because, you know, they're around because humans are, but they all have this idea, except death. Death is like super chill in the series. She's really cool and like more knowing than the others, but they all think that they're actually all powerful and rulers and stuff, but she's like, really, we're kind of their slaves. Like we only exist because they do. But anyway, um, he does this kind of thing too, where he starts a deal with a random dude back in like the Renaissance times or something. And he's like, I'll let you live forever. I just want to watch. I just want to see what happens. And they have to meet up like every hundred years at this bar. (laughs) Yeah. Into different things, you know, and they meet up every hundred years so he can see where he's at and if he's done anything with his life and if his feelings are different. So it kind of uh, reminded me of that storyline, which is really fun. It's like a deal with death or whoever. Um, but anyway, sorry, tangent. <laughs> Small side tangent. But I would <laughs> recommend The Sandman to everybody, by the way, both the show and the comic series. Um, so she's making this pact with them. Um, she's laying out the rules pretty clearly, in my opinion. Um, you know, and I just think that it's so messed up that Roderick has, like, what, six children when they're going to foot the bill? I don't know. Did he really think like them living a privileged life 
was going to make it okay for them to all like die suddenly when um, it was time to die. Pretty much says that's what he thought. So yeah, <sighs> apparently it just shows how messed up it is. It is. And even the swiftness with which Roderick agrees to the deal takes Madeline by surprise. Cause at this point he already has two kids. Yeah. And he still agreed to it like this. Yep. So pretty gross. Um, I guess he's riding that high of murdering his boss or whatever. <laughs> um, and, you know, she says that if Roderick says yes, then she's also going to say yes. Uh, Madeline, that is. So the three drink to their agreement. Um, and the moment the twins step out of the bar, they look back to see it was never a bar at all. Just a boarded up building. Again, like, I don't know. Is there some weird, like, it memory thing that's keeping them from remembering this stuff? I just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, or did they, do they like slip into, did they slip, what would you call it? Like not a, I'm a parallel universe or another plane or something. Like they kind of like dipped out of existence for a little bit, you yeah. know, like maybe did that. I mean, obviously they didn't get their alibi and all, well, they don't need it going forward now, but you know what they thought they were doing in that bar. I think maybe they just kind of sidestepped reality for a minute to deal with fate, to deal with Verna, yeah. you know, and I mean, right there, like, right, that would do it for me, right? Like, yeah. if I turned around and the building I just came out of wasn't there, yes, you know, like, I'm on board at this point and I better enjoy the next however many years because they already, the clock is already ticking. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, and he explains to Augie back, you know, in present time that they eventually just kind of felt like it was a dream or something, but. Which I could sort of also, I think that's what you would tell yourself, because what else could you, what other explanation, if you didn't want to accept the supernatural one, Yeah. what else you, was I so drunk, you know, was I dreaming? I don't know. Right. I mean, I did just commit murder for the first time. Um Maybe I wasn't thinking rationally. Yeah, right. But then it's like when all this stuff starts coming up again, I don't know, then don't you go, oh, wait, it was real. Because Madeline clearly was remembered at some point that they had a pact and was like, remember the pact? Well, I mean, I would remember, but obviously they chose, I think they chose denial. So. Yeah. I guess that must be it. I don't know. Um so that's a really cool scene, just watching them all go into this evil pact um, with death, not the devil, um, in my opinion. What? Yeah, whatever she is, fate. The, I tend to want to call her the devil because that's that's so much. I think of like you know, there's that whole that story that's been told a hundred different ways of you meet. You know, you meet the devil at the crossroads, and mm. you know all that. It just this kind of feels like that story, but it's really not. She's almost like a next level up from that. Like she's like, in my mind, she's like even bigger than the devil or whatever. I don't know. You know, like yeah. she just seems to have like this. Oh, she's almost more like God. If you're going to, if you're doing a God devil kind of thing, but um, cause she seems more omnipotent, you know, like she's got everybody's fate in her hand hands while still making pe humans think that they have free will but ultimately they she gives them a little bit of free will but ultimately it's all going to come to the same thing in the end so yeah yeah i don't know I, I don't know if she thought when they made that pact that they were going to choose to like 
keep doing drugs and not keep doing drugs, but like keep Fortunato as a drug company and then end up killing off like millions of people and stuff. Well, she just wanted to watch though, right? Like, yeah, I, I guess that, that, yeah, that's, that is interesting. Cause if she is the devil, it would kind of make sense because then you're collecting these really fucked up souls that are going to commit a lot of murder. Ultimately. And they're going to give you, what was it? 50,000 other souls. So, which I mean, right. Although I guess those souls aren't going to hell, presumably, right? Because it's not... Well, I don't know if you do drugs. I mean, some of those people probably got hooked on it like Juno did. Like, they actually, you know, had an injury and they started taking it. But then other people are buying it on the street. Are they they worse or not? You know, like, this is a super addictive drug. So I don't... I don't think people that take drugs are bad or destined to go to hell, you know, even if you're a total, total druggie, I think you just have an addictive personality and people are addicted to all different kinds of things. I don't, I don't think that makes you a bad, like, I don't think you're going to hell because you've taken drugs or, you know, I think everybody would probably be going to hell by the time they died, you know, but um, I don't, I mean, obviously they were going to, they personally, if she was a devil, by giving these two this kind of power that she gave them, Although, or did they give it to themselves? I mean, no, because she said, I'll make it so you never get prosecuted for any crimes or anything right. like that. So she kind of gave him a, a golden pass there a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, knowing that, no, because she did, I don't know. She didn't necessarily <laughs> know that they were going to cause those 50,000 deaths or whatever. Necessarily, right. I don't or know. Or did she? Or did she, right? <laughs> I'd like to think that she didn't. Um I don't know. And she does seem like when she's talking to them, like she's judging them. You know what I mean? So she's not completely indifferent. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That is kind of interesting to think about. I think I just automatically was like Raven, death. Those things kind of just go together. You know what I mean? But but the, you know, meeting the devil at the crossroads for your souls is a story as old as time. So I hadn't thought about it until just now but maybe this all was you know maybe they were chosen sort of because it, it you could take any two random people and they're not going to have it in necessarily in them to do what Roderick and Madeline ultimately did I mean mm-hmm. I, I I think I don't think I would do that I could never let my I could never let anything happen to any of my children no matter how much money you gave me you know and I think no. probably most people would feel that way but I not think, even like hypothetically like no, no. No, no, not at all. And then to go back even further into their childhood, their mother did rise from the dead to kill somebody. You know what I mean? Like, was this all, was this all like already on a track? Oh, oh, I'm thinking even (laughs) deeper than I was. I was just proud that I thought I had this figured out. Now you're taking me all new places. Now I don't know. There's a lot more. mm, There could be a lot more going on than we even knew. You're right. I did not even think of that, that their mom literally rose from the dead. Yeah. But, and she, I know we're not trying to go God and devil, but she was like, she let religion dictate her life. Yeah. So. But she seemed to be, you know, um, regretful of (laughs) after dying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, Hmm. But, but that, but she, she rose and, you know, put judgment on a man and killed him. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's. Oh, see, there's even more to it than I was in thinking <laughs> before. <laughs> yeah. 
this is why this will be a fun sh- uh, show to revisit too. Yeah. Sure. Um, so this is where we get that scene that you refer to, um, where Annabelle leaves Roderick after the deposition, um, because she's unable to recognize the man she married, obviously. Um, but after amassing wealth and power, um, he uses it to get Frederick and Tamerlan over to his side, of course. Um, and, uh, Roderick. And he straight up admit, he straight up admits that he did that. Like he's like, I mean, he regrets it now. But because he's going to run into her here in a little bit, but um, he regrets it. But he straight up admits like, yeah, I just offered him things. And when kids are that age, of course, they're going to, you know, go for things. Yeah, yeah. of course. It was just like so sad. Um, And he tells Augie back in present day that she couldn't live without them. Um, And then after the second funeral of Roderick's last three children, he hallucinate he hallucinated, but not actually probably <laughs> Annabelle's ghost in the back of the church, and she came to tell him that this is the second time that their children died, and that the first time is when they went to live with him, yeah, um, and she's telling him you know that he killed them, and she walks up towards their caskets, and we see what is clearly a self inflicted gunshot wound to the head, so yeah, mm-hmm. this is where we get that reveal um. So sad. Oh my gosh. The so poor sad. ghost. Ugh, it's terrible. Especially because we know what um, Freddie and Tamerlan turned into as adults, you know, and they're just like yeah. so icky. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just really sad. Uh, and so then um, <clears throat> Augie comments, you know, that Annabelle Lee was the only good usher that there ever was. And Roderick corrects him that Lenore was good too. Uh, and that she was the best of them. Um, and uh, she, she, it's true, she stands up to her father and to Pim, um, who tries to do everything in their power uh, to keep their mother, Morella, safe. Or she tries to do everything in her power to keep Morella safe. Um, and she's begging her grandfather to try and use his money for good and to make up for all the pain that their family has caused. And she's so kind and good. Um that not even Verna takes any pleasure in having to kill her, but a deal's yeah. a deal. Deal's and a deal. she does she does ultimately visit Lenore um and take her, which is such a bummer. Really. And it's one of the times we really see Verna almost like a human side to her, like where she's really not I'm not saying she got pleasure out of the other people dying necessarily, but it's almost I think she was truly indifferent other than mm-hmm. Um, Froderick, <laughs> but um, yeah, she's very judgy with Froderick. Yeah, <laughs> but you just see it like she really hates that she has to kill Lenore. Yeah, but what's really sweet is before she does, she makes sure that Lenore knows that uh, because of what she did for her mother, uh, Morella is going to recover and heal and go on to do tremendous good in the world. And she creates a nonprofit called the Lenore Foundation. Yeah which will do work that ends up saving millions of lives and that Lenore is stamped all over these good deeds and it's her legacy. Um, And I think too, I don't remember the exact amount, but she does tell her like how, well, saving millions of lives, which we're, I think we're supposed to take that as like, it kind of counters all of the lives that were lost due to Ligatone and Fortunato. Um, which I, I mean, obviously those lives are lost. Like you can't recover that, but 
it's just kind of it's a nice little touch to both the story and to Lenore's legacy. Um, And I guess, yeah, Morella gets off because she's not actually an usher by blood, I guess. Right. She just married into the family. Yeah. So poor Lenore. It's a bummer. Um, But she touches her lightly on the forehead and then uh, Lenore passes away, um, I think, in bed at Roderick's house. Right. Yep. Mm hmm. And then we remember that she's been texting Roderick, like, throughout the entire series. <laughs> so what's going on with that? And yeah. so that's when we come back to the present day and Augie's like, uh, but Lenore's been texting you and reaching out to you all night. What are you talking about? She can't be dead. And that's when Roderick tells him about the sentient AI bot that Madeline had made of Lenore, um, which had been activated. And that is what was actually texting him all night. Um, And to make it worse, the Lenore bot has a glitch and it's been sending him one word over and over again. Nevermore. Yeah. Don't think that's a glitch, buddy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Roderick is devastated. Um, by Lenore's death. Um, and yeah, he knows that the end is near, but I think also he actually gave a shit about Lenore and knew oh, that yeah. she was good and kind and he loved her. Um, and so it's just a huge bummer, but uh, the Raven has come for him. Um, and it's in his house now watching him. And eventually when he heads over to the Fortunato offices, as if to say goodbye to what he built, there sitting in the chairs facing him are all of the dead ushers. Yeah. They're all in their bloody, deathly fashions of however it was that they died. Um, and Verna shows up to reveal uh, to Roderick what his real monument and his real legacy is. And that is when millions of human bodies are raining down from the sky. It's also raining and storming and just see all of these silhouettes of dead bodies falling through the sky all around Fortunato. Um, And that is a rough scene. Yeah, it is. And also, you know, because it's dark and we just get like flashes of light from the lightning and stuff. The CGI doesn't look bad, you know? Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's an example of how you could successfully use CGI um, when you're having dead bodies rain from the sky in the darkness. <laughs> I will allow it. Um, and it's pretty horrific, um, but it's really cool, too. Um, and it's, I think, you know, once you see that kind of image, like you can't deny like all the I- lies that were lost it's like one last zinger that she got in like i'm not gonna let you i mean because remember now she already brought him back from the dead once she didn't let him kill himself it's like i'm gonna make you see what you did i'm not gonna let you pass away she said to him before i'm not you know i'm not gonna let you get away with it that easy and i think she really wanted him to see what he had done before he was allowed to pass away and So there's I mean, all of his dead kids. Here's all these bodies falling out of the sky. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much harder when you have to face like an actual image of what is really going on instead of yes. just hearing about it. Yes. Um, which I think we all know just from watching all this crazy stuff in the news, you know, within the last few years where we see a lot more than we used to and people record a lot more. And well, like I just you, said at the beginning, it's, I, it's, one thing to hear it but I saw an image that I couldn't handle you yeah. know like I that just it 
Yeah, it's yeah, for sure. There's no coming back from that, you know. Right. Um, but uh, this is when she tells him to call Augie and to meet him at his childhood home. And this brings us back full circle to where the story all began. So it was really her idea. Um, by the way, when we get that scene of them in the bar making the pact and she's like, you're never going to have to worry about, um, you know, getting crimes pinned on you and you're going to basically be able to not have to worry about that. I felt so mad for Augie and just thought back to the first oh, yeah. time they're in court and he's going over how many charges have been made against them and how they always escape any chart. And it's like, wow. That's really messed up. <laughs> this poor guy put like his whole life into. Uh, you know what? And I didn't realize that now until you just said it. And I think too, when we, when this, the series starts and we get that first image of them in court, when Augie brings up, you know, you have an informant or whatever, we, I think as an audience think, oh, it's just because they're so powerful that mm-hmm. that's why they can't get anything pinned. And that's why they get away with all this stuff. Cause we don't know about the pact and all that at this point. But yeah. I think it just sets the tone for how important the Usher family is. So we just assume that, you know, nobody's ever, they just buy everybody off or whatever. Yeah. Which also makes that whole storyline even more funny is that all of their power really comes from Verna. Yeah. And yet they think that they can use their power over her, but they don't really have any power. She gave them the power. Okay. <laughs> Oh, my God. You're right. But that's like a total revelation right there. But you're totally uh, right. You're totally right. Yes, we, we've been saying how she gave people the choice, but it's almost ultimately like she set these little dominoes up to watch them fall. You know, yeah. like, yeah. Uh, yeah, quite interesting. See, that's a whole other way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need Now I need to watch this again for sure. Yes, it, absolutely. Because it's a totally different story when you think about it that way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it will be fun to go back and really try to put together, like, what you think is actually happening. Yeah, what if you watch the whole thing from Verna set this up? You know, yeah. like, oh, yeah. Oh. Then they're even worse people than you, we've given them credit for. Right. You know, because I think it's. But then Verna tr- sucks, too. Yeah, and I don't want Verna to suck, so. No, I don't either. (laughs) All right, so then um, Madeline arrives at the Usher house and finds her brother in the basement, um, which he has begun to arrange like an Egyptian tomb full of their most precious possessions. He is such a weirdo. Yes, (laughs) totally. So now they're the last two ushers that remain, and they know what the deal is, that they have to go out of this world together. Um, So they share a drink, uh, and Madeline launches into an epic monologue about how they shouldn't be hiding in a basement before they die. They should be proud of who they are. Uh, (laughs) And then she's talking about how people want to blame them for death and destruction, but that they're not the only guilty party here. There's also the government and the Supreme Court. And basically, she is just, like, not taking any responsibility or blame for anything. And she's just trying to be, like, mightier than thou. And it's really annoying. Um, it's like you're at your yeah. end. Well, <laughs> like, in a way, still, in a way, still denying Verna there, kind of by being like that. Yeah. Like, none of this has anything to do with the fact that we made a literal deal with whatever you want to call her. Yeah. 
And she says that if Berna or death or whoever is coming for them, she'll have to stare her bright in the eyes because she's <laughs> Madeline fucking Usher. Um, and then that's when she feels it, that Roderick poisoned her drink, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. And it him. feels like something she yeah. would like think, think of, but she let her guard down this time, you know? She did. I know, especially because she's the one who, like, got him to commit suicide. Do you think she yep. thought of that? But, um, nope. That's just her, self, her self-importance in her own head, you know? Like, nobody can get to her. She's, you know. Yeah. And then this is the point when he cuts out her eyes and replaces them with the Queen um, Tusserit's sapphires. Yep. And he says, you're Madeline fucking Usher. You're a queen. <laughs> Um, and it's just like so funny and demented and they're just, they're really messy, uh, relationship there. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So now we are back in the house with Augie and the thumping that's been coming from the basement this whole time, uh, is still occurring. Uh, but this is when we finally see that, Roderick wasn't joking when he said that it was Madeline in the basement. It really was. Um, <laughs> oh, it's so creepy. Ah. It is really creepy. Um, and she's kind of still alive, uh, although she's adjusting to having two sapphires shoved in her eye sockets. <laughs> so she comes thumping up the stairs uh, and Augie makes a run for it as the house begins to crumble all around them. Uh, and Madeline hears Roderick say nevermore and she finds him. And then finds his neck and strangles him to death as the house falls down on top of them, burying them in their tomb. And the house of Usher has finally fallen, both literally and metaphorically. Which is perfect. And very Edgar Allan Poe, this ending. Um, And then outside, we see Augie looking at the rubble before him, and he sees Verna standing on top of it. Uh, But just then, he suddenly sees a raven instead. Um, and so, you know, I think, yeah, we must have not had that section, uh, or rather to dumb by Netflix didn't have that section in any of the articles about when Pim meets Verna. I was just thinking about that because she gives him the choice and he makes the right choice. He's the only person that does. Right. And he, yeah, I don't know if it's the right choice necessarily, but it's like a choice that we can respect. Yes. (laughs) Well, he doesn't take the easy way out. We'll just say, um, you know, by making the choice that he, like he takes responsibility for his actions. He cheated death once right up at the, he left Antarctica or wherever he was. Because something mm-hmm. happened and he, like, ran away, right? Like, he had he stayed there, he witnessed something. I don't remember what happened exactly. Something happened there, and he's like, that's it, I'm done with this expedition, and he came back. So he kind of feels like he already cheated death once, and then yeah. um, he comes back. And so I don't remember exactly what she said to him, but he chooses instead to, like, face his fate. You All know, the like, charges, yeah. Yeah, everything that um, – he knows by making the decision that he makes that he will literally take the fall for But you know, I mean, technically that's sort of kind of what he deserves because he is the reason those people never, he's going to pay for all the crimes, but technically, I mean, he's, 
he's the reason why nobody else had to pay for all the crimes. So, you know, he's now going to do the jail time for kind of like everything that he helped fix for the ushers. Yeah, but it is really cool because he kills her like very swiftly when he first goes into the house and rolls her up in a rug. And he's like taking care of her like he has many other people, apparently. And then she just kind of reappears and is like, wow, that's impressive. (laughs) Yeah. And he is not an idiot and right away is like, oh, shit. Yeah. This is a supernatural thing that I'm dealing with here. Yeah. Yes. So I don't remember which episode that that must have probably occurred in the last episode, I'm guessing. Either seven or eight, one of the two. I can't, it's, it's towards the end because we've already got people, we're starting to, we've come full circle to where we're seeing people arriving at the house now, right? Cause he, yeah. and that's when he was scouting for Verna, I think. So it might have been like, yeah. Remember he was like, he knew her from, like, for whatever reason, he went there looking for Verna and then he finds her. So I'm gonna she say, left, like, she left that address in her patient file at Victorine's. And I think he was, like, pacing the joint for a while before he actually confronted her. So I think that those might have occurred in two different episodes from, like, the first time he figures out that she's there. Um, Oh, and also I think he just doesn't see her for a really long time. And then she finally, like, appears to him and goes into the house, like, on purpose to, like, to lure him out. Yeah. And then he he kills her, which is funny. Um. But, yeah, because this is the point now in the show where, like, the case has been closed by Augie um, on Fortunato. And Pim, who refused to strike a deal with Verna, was arrested and spent the rest of his life in prison, um, which he knew. She told him straight up, and he accepted that fate. And then Juno inherits Fortunato and the Usher fortune. And after winning herself off of Ligodone, yay, uh, dissolves the entire company and uses the money to fund addiction recovery services, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and then we see Augie visit the graves of the nine dead ushers, and he bids Roderick farewell for good, um, and he leaves his recorder behind with the whole confession because it doesn't really matter anymore <laughs> what Roderick said because um, no reason makes it any better and no reason fixes any of it. And we see the raven sitting atop the tombstones watching. Uh, Verna visits each grave, and she leaves um, each usher one last trinket. A mask, a cell phone, a cat collar, the heart mesh device, a gold scarab, a bag of coke, a feather, and a flower, and the two serrated sapphires, and a drinking glass for Roderick, of course. Uh, one last toast to the fallen usher family. And that's it. That's the fall of the House of Usher. It's a really cool ending. Yay! Yay! We made it through our first show, Queens. We did (gasps) it. It was a lot of talking. Yes. It was. Uh, Do you, I mean, we're going to get into our ratings and, you know, like final thoughts, basically. But before that, was there anything else that you wanted to bring up or mention? No, I don't think so. Okay, cool. People, please, if you haven't watched this, you like, oh, it's just so, I mean, it's just so freaking good. So freaking it good. Is. So. Well, Tammy, can I, um, can I ask you to reveal your rating and final thoughts first, just so I can take a drink of water and relax my mouth yes. for a second? Yes, that would be just fine. Uh, actually, <laughs> hold on. I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> you could have done that the whole time. I know. I was... <laughs> I was too enthralled. I couldn't. Uh-huh. Um, I see what you gave it. 
I'm giving this a 10, and I'm not even saying that I'm sorry for doing it because I'm just enthralled and impressed and just I have so much respect for the way that he did the show and just the detail and the love that was put into it, how well it was cast, um, Mm -hmm. how well he incorporated Poe's work into it without being like, you know, it, it made it modern. Um, which yeah. I wasn't quite sure about how I felt about that, but you couldn't have done it better. And I am just in awe, like I said, at the beginning of someone that has this kind of talent to put something like this together. I loved it from the first episode, and I it's just not only one of the best things I've seen this year, it's one of the best things I've seen in a long time. So, yeah, it's it's getting a 10 from me. So Yay! Yay. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't want to know what your rating is for Haunting of Hill House, because maybe one day we'll cover that on a show, Queens. But do you like this better than um, Haunting of Hill House? Not better, different. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. um, I I would probably, in fact, I think I, I don't know. I probably just brought it up on a Rotten Roundtable. I don't think we covered it on HorrorCast, but um I think that's also a 10 for the same reasons. It's that depth and richness of storytelling that I'm just, you know, in such awe. But, like, I didn't love Midnight Mass. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen seen him have some misses, which I know people, there's people that probably think that's the greatest one. But um, when for me, when he does it right, there's just nobody can touch him. You know what I mean? But it's... Hill House is a lot like this one where it's just, it's one big story, it's a bunch of little stories, yet it all comes together so perfectly, and you want to watch it a second time because you feel like you just want to know more. I love that. I love when you can get that enthralled in a story, so, yeah. Right. Yeah, I will say I've rewatched Hill House a bunch of times, um, and my rating on that is, like, very high. Um, I love that series, and I do think one big difference between these is that in Hill House, like, that family is just this poor family, you know, that yep. gets targeted for no reason, seemingly, um, and they're so sweet, and they all love each other, you know what I mean, and it's like this real deterioration of this, like, sweet, loving family, Whereas this is a deterioration of, like, a shitty family full of people I don't like. It's almost like, because it's so many of the same characters, too, it's almost like the same family gone two different ways. You know, I mean, it's not, like, <laughs> obviously, but because it's, like, such a crossover, you know, it's like, what if they were, a, here's if they were a good family, and here's if, yeah. here's if they were the ushers, you know? That's so funny. Yeah. Um, but, of course, I love all of the Edgar Allan Poe stuff, and I think the way it's written is just so brilliant, especially what <sighs> you're saying, like, this is a modern story, um, and Poe elements are very, like, old-timey, you know yeah. what I mean? And somehow it all works together. Yes. Um, this yeah. kind of seamless way, which I really like. Um, so for right now, my rating's a eight and a half out of ten, and I think that's mostly because of the issues I have with with Broderick and Madeline like denying the power of death. <laughs> that's just that really gets you, doesn't it? Yeah, it just like really bugs me. It's just like really nonsensical. But um, I suspect that I'm gonna end up rewatching this one a lot, just like I do with Hill House. And I imagine my score is probably gonna go up, um, unless that one storyline just gets worse and worse for me. 
but I don't think so. I think I'll start like noticing even more things that I had missed um, and just like getting really close with the series like I did with Hill House. Like I feel like I know Hill House in and out now because yeah. I just watch it like once a year. But it's like that kind of a project that you want to return to. And anyone who knows me knows I don't like rewatching stuff. I always want to watch something new. Oh, I'm uh, like the, cre- the queen of rewatches. You know, maybe, maybe, just maybe, if you do ever rewatch this, try thinking of like what we said about Verna planned the whole thing all along. And yeah. maybe they weren't allowed to second guess it. You know what I mean? Maybe that was part right. of the big plan. I don't know. Yeah. Something that might like, take the heat off of that for you <laughs> <laughs> right if it's just faded like in hereditary or yeah. something yeah right true yeah i'll have to do that but yeah i did really like it and i love going through this with you um oh, I know. and yeah and of course like the majority of the characters in this are unlikable the ends do justify the means at least though you know it's not it's not yeah. like um infinity pool where you're just watching all these terrible people and then like Nobody actually gets their comeuppance or anything. You know I what I mean? They see, just go. I didn't see you haven't people, seen it, but yeah, no. I liked it, but it's just like sometimes it's really hard to watch stuff like that because you're just like, I hate everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And this, it's not quite. It's not quite that bad. So, um, so it actually works in something like this. But, um, and I know, like sometimes that's the point. Is like they're supposed to be unlikable. You know, but it's like, okay, great, but I don't want to watch, like, a whole thing about all these unlikable people. But there's these moments of tenderness and clarity and goodness and, you know, and just the right. I mean, just the writing is just so rich. Um, Yeah. And the special effects look good, of course. Like, Flanagan is so good with his ghost details. Um, Yes. Yes, I love it. Like, I'll literally never get tired if he just wants to keep doing ghosts forever. It's totally fine. Um, well, I did hear something yesterday because I know he ended his, and maybe everyone knows this and maybe I'm the last one to know it, but I know he ended his relationship with Netflix, but he signed a deal with Amazon. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, and I know Amazon's big thing is, and why people kind of gravitate towards him is because they, and a lot of I heard a lot of the problems he had with Netflix is the the higher ups really tried to influence his writing and his show running and all that. And Amazon's thing is like, here, we'll back you, but they're really about letting their creators create. So mm. maybe we'd get we'll get even better things on Amazon, you know? I sure hope so. I seriously need to find a way to reach out to him and tell him to remake a story. I've been thinking about that every day since we had that horror cast conversation. It's so, well, you know how much I love those stories. But, you know, and and the problem is, like, you know, we were making fun of it a little because it's got some bad 80s effects and all that. Just imagine, you know how he does his ghosts and stuff. Yeah. um, Just how good it would all look, you know. It would be so good. And then to turn it into a series and really flush out (gasps) the characters like we were saying. Yes, I know. We got to find a way to. Now I don't have Twitter. I can't just like talk to famous people anymore. It's so annoying. <sighs> you could join the dark side and join X, but I don't know. I, don't. I wonder if he's even on there. I think a lot of people are boycotting it now, so I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, before we totally wrap up this episode, I do want to do my monstrous mention, of course. 
week is going to be Rodney Wilder, um, who is an awesome supporter of ours online. He is a horror movie haiku and review creator um, who is already a pillar in our little growing family of weirdos. And he's actually a Pacific Northwest native. So I'm hoping to hang out with him and his wife um, at some point and go see a movie. We almost did, and we had to cancel our plans, unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances. But hopefully we'll get that movie in soon um, because they seem super cool. Um, And he is such a great writer, you guys. Um, I actually I repost some of his stuff in our group page especially this one that I want to read real quick that he did for the uh, fall of the house of Usher, because obviously that's fitting for this episode. Um, And it goes like this. The vow returns beak first, single side packed to uphold an unthroned ghost, a nepotist grotesques, dead long ear dying. Just beautiful. Oh, yes. All of his haikus are so brilliant. Yep. Totally. I love them. And they're always attached to like a really long in-depth movie review. Um, so I really recommend people check him out and he just like posts this stuff for free. So you can follow him um, on Instagram. He's on Facebook. He actually does have an Etsy account that's under the Bard of House Wilder. So I'll include all of his links in the show notes, but um, he's super dope. And you should check him out. <laughs> Did you hear that, Rodney? You're super dope. And coming from Jessica, that means a lot. Okay. <laughs> it does. I promise. <laughs> All right. I want to be. I want to be super dope. Oh uh, well, you're getting there. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, I um, I cannot write haiku. I cannot write, let alone write haikus. So I'm just never um, going to reach. I'm that not going to. Dopeness. No. Me no. either. Okay, but if you weren't super dope, I wouldn't want to have a podcast with you. So that should mean something, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to ask Tammy here to lead us out of this episode, our final part three of our Fall of uh, House of Usher show queens. <laughs> because Jessica's talker is running out, I'm sure, by this point. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Ah, that is going to do it for this episode of Horror Through Her Eyes. Guess what? Next week, we will be reviewing my pick, 1977 Suspiria. You're welcome. So that's your, oh, I'm so excited. Me too. Quite a, quite a, quite a, I can't say quite a switch, (laughs) quite a switch from this. Um, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Sorry. Lost my spot. Um, (laughs) you can watch it for free on Tubi, which, I do at least twice a year. It's been on there forever. Tubi usually switches their stuff, but I swear this has been on there. It's like one of the few places you can find them. It's like always on there. The Criterion Channel or Canopy. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Join our Horror Through Her Eyes Facebook group page. It's just, I'm really loving having that page. We have really good interaction on there. It's just been a lot of fun. Um, you can email us at horrorthroughhereyes at yahoo.com. Follow us on Instagram and threads at horrorthroughhereyespod with an underscore in between each word. Follow us on TikTok, which we actually put stuff on there. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, at horrorthroughhereyespod. And follow us on Letterbox, bu- <laughs> Letterbox <laughs> at horrorhereyes. 
As we bid you farewell, we hope you enjoyed your time with us. Uh, three weeks of this <laughs> deep dive. Uh, and just for joining us here, like we've made it through our first month and it's just been so fun and it's just been nice to get the support and I've met a bunch of new people. It's just been great. So, um, Let's see. As we bid you farewell, we hope you enjoyed your time with us here on Horror Through Your Eyes. It's been a blast diving into the depths of dread with you. And until next time, remember to live deliciously. Nevermore. Prophet, said I. Thing of evil, prophet, steal if bird or devil, whether tempt or sent or whether tempest toss thee here ashore. Desolate yet all indented on this desert land, enchanted on this home by horror hanted. Tell me truly, I implore. Is there? Is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, o'er many quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. "'Only this and nothing more.' "'Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, "'and its separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. "'Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I sought to borrow "'from my books or cease of sorrow. "'Sorrow for the lost Lenore, "'for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, "'nameless here.' forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now to still the beating of my heart I stood repeating, "'Tis a visitor entreating entrance to my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this it is and nothing more.' Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer, "'Sir,' said I, or, "'Madam,' Truly, your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what there at is in this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment in this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter, when with many a flirt and flutter in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door. Perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat, and nothing more. Then this ebony bird, beguiling my sand, fancy into smiling by the grave and stirred decorum of the countenance it wore, 
Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly, grim, and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Much I marvel this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore, for we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculpted bust above his chamber door, with such name as nevermore. But the raven sitting lonely on that placid bust spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered. Other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store. Caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till the songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hopes that melancholy burden bore of never, nevermore. But the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then upon the velvet sinking I betook myself to linking fancy into fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore, meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat dividing with my head at ease, reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, she shall press, ah, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, Perfume from an unseen censer swung by seraphim, whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy god hath lent me by the angels he has sent thee. Respite, respite, and nepenthe from my memories of Lenore. Quoth, though quoth this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet, still if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest toss thee here ashore, Desolate yet all undanted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror hanted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet, still of bird or devil, by the heaven that bends above us, by the God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if the, the, the distant Aiden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest, the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as a token of the lie thy soul has spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart, and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore.
And the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating in the floor shall be lifted nevermore.